the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Android, starring Don Keith Opper, Klaus Kinski, and Bree Howard. There once was a man, his name was Cam. He picked two movies for Pad. They just happened to be two kick-ass movies. One was Body Parts, and this one is Android from 1982. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I have totally improvised. Totally. And that's why... petered out at the end hey everybody <laughs> welcome to pad podcasting after dark you're like is this the uh, minstrel singers hour <laughs> no it's not it's not the cbn network it is the actually it is the cbn network it's the cam broadcasting network because cam sully uh our forever faithful patron host of the jacked up review show podcast and like an amazing awesome dude uh cam is at the highest tier on our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark to become a patron and support the show. Uh, at the highest tier, you can be a producer of our content. You get to pick the movie that we break down for said show. And tonight, we are breaking down the second pick of Cam's two picks this month. The first pick he chose was Body Parts with AKA Jeff AKA Body Bags. <laughs> AKA Better Bags. And this one is 1982's Android, produced by Roger Corman. We're going to get to the whole kit and caboodle of the cast in the background because there's a lot to break down when it comes to that. But boy, oh boy, uh, it's me, Sweet Sexy Tiny TZ. And joining me as always is my bodacious co-host, Sleazy C, Little Cory Gory. What's happening? Happening, brother. Don't call me that. That's not my name. You stole my line. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm doing good, buddy. Uh, I'm doing great after watching this movie, a movie that I had never heard of. Um, well, you know, I take it back. Kind of looking through IMDb, like the images and stuff, I, I feel like I recognize some some of the covers or some of the the poster art or maybe the VHS art for this, but um. Besides that, I have no experience with Android, 1982's Android. Pretty much the same. I recognize images from it in magazines like Cinema Fantastique, I believe it's called, uh, back in the day. Yeah, I feel like maybe Starlog had it too. Yeah, and um, uh, 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 the opening with the puppetry, I definitely remember. Uh, But I never saw this movie as well. And I was like, oh, it's a PG movie. It's going to be really, whoa, there's nudity within the first 20 minutes. <laughs> it's chock full of nudity for a it's... PG movie. I had, I did not see that coming in as the Mandarin would say, you'll never see these titties coming. <laughs> Pretty uh, spot on accurate with the voice match there. That's, um, the, that's the best part of, uh, of that movie. <laughs> yeah, th- this movie is a wild one. L- let's just get right into the casting crew um, of 1982's Android. We're going to start with the director. 
The director of the movie is Aaron Lipstad. And Aaron Lipstad is known for this film, of course. He was an, asho- he was an associate producer for Escape from New York. Uh, he directed a movie called City Limits, which is actually cool like post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie back in the 80s oh, uh, if, okay if you ever get a chance to check that one out do so it's it's uh it's it's worth watching at least once i'm looking at it now and in uh john stockwell is in it um yes. so is uh, james earl jones i it's funny because i when i was a kid i watched a lot of post-apocalyptic um you know 80s movies and this one i don't even like recognize uh, the cover for it, but it looks. Oh, it's cool, good. Though. It's good. Kim Cattrall is in it. Radong Chong, uh, another an actor who was in this film, Android, is also in it. We'll get to him in a moment. Um, but yeah, Aaron Lipstadt is known for a lot of television series. He directed three episodes of Miami Vice, so of course, for me, he gets a, uh, a big thumbs up. And Crime Story, another television series that I absolutely love, and The Equalizer back in the day. So. Tour of Duty, Wise Guy, Private Eye, Houston Nights. I mean, like, the list goes on and on. One great show after another. Quantum Leap. Um, And can we call out The Marshal with Jeff Fahey? We sure can. We're actually going to bring that up more than once as well with with another person behind the scenes connected. So, yeah, Aaron Lipstadt's got quite the resume. He also uh, co-produced Slumber Party Massacre. I love that movie, dude. That's funny because my next door... My next door neighbor uh, is in Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, was she one of the? Who was she in it? One of the women in the uh, one of the sorority, I guess. Oh wow. Okay. Well, maybe one day we'll have to uh, cover it. I'm sure we'll cover it one day. Honestly, I'm, I'm sure we will. And, have her um, on. and if we do, we'll have to maybe have her on the show then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention uh, the writer. Well, one of the writers, Don Keith Opper who was listed, well, he's actually credited in this movie as Max 404. That's his character. It's an interesting uh, choice that they make. And we'll get more to him in a moment with his background. Um, but yeah, he wrote this along with Will Regal and James Regal, uh, Rigel, and I believe they came up with the original idea, and he's the one that wrote it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, we have to call out um, a couple of the producers as well. Um, Roger Corman is uncredited, but he is apparently an executive producer on the movie. But Barry Oper uh, is also a producer for the film, which we believe is uh, Don Keith Oper's brother because they're about the same age. But um, Barry Oper also produced Critters um, and, unfortunately, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, that's... So we're not going to bring that one up anymore, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he also did the TV show The Marshall, which uh, starred Jeff Fahey. And if you've never seen that TV show, it's a cool show. We may bring that to TV Obscura one of these days. I think we need to because I have never seen it and I've never heard of it. So, yeah, that's uh, – well, well uh, Editor Corey, as you're look, listening back and editing this episode, add The Marshall to the shared uh, TV Obscura list that we all please, have. Yeah, please do. Uh, I want to – point out i believe barry and i I, it could be opera or or oper i'm not sure i think it's opera yeah uh i i'm assuming he's the brother because don keith if you look up his uh backstory on wikipedia his father was like a salesman so i'm assuming that's probably his brother that we're dealing with but the i want to shout out the composer of this movie Don Preston, because I thought the the synth score was very cool. He's known for composing the movie The Being, which is a 
cool horror film from the early 80s starring Martin Landau. Uh, he also composed the movie Eye of the Tiger, which has Gary Busey in it before his motorcycle accident. So he's he's looking normal and he's cool. It's a great, like, you know, uh, Death Wish, Lone Wolf McQuaid type movie. Yeah, you've and mentioned Blood that Diner one. and Blood Diner. I have um I have the Arrow Blood Diner Blu-ray. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I, I got it. I think it was like on sale. So I was like, yeah, this movie. I rec-, you know. So I picked that one up. Um, is it good? Is it is that one fun? Honestly, I've never seen Blood Diner, so I've only seen the posters wow. for it. Okay. All right. Wow. That's a that's a first. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, I want to call out the special effects, which is by John Carl Buchler. And John Carl Buchler is really well known. He did the special effects for Hatchet. He worked on From Beyond, Reanimator. Friday 13th, Part uh, 7. Right. He also did Cellar Dweller, which is a, a part of that Arrow the, yep. uh, video store box set. And Troll. He directed Troll. Oh, and Dungeon Master, too, by the way, Dun- which is also a part of that Arrow box set. Hell yeah, dude. I love it. And um, are you a fan of Hatchet at all? I've never seen it. I've only seen like scenes from it. Okay. Yeah, I watched like I think the first two or three. They're fun. Um, Every kill in it is like a Mortal Kombat fatality. They are insane. But it's like a fun throwback to like, you know, the slashers of the 80s just with insane gore. I kind of figured that there's more than one, right? There's like two or three out there. There's two or three, and then they rebooted it, uh, called it Victor Crowley or whatever. Yeah, they're, they're I think they're on four or five at this point. Wow. Victor yeah. Crowley. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Um, let's get into the cast, shall we? Yeah. It's okay. a small cast, but it's, a would say, a damn good cast. Really damn good cast and a really great resume, a really great resume with most of these actors. Oh, by the way, yeah, Roger Corman also produced this. I think we mentioned in the onset as well. Uh, you know who Roger Corman is, so we don't need to go down that history of <laughs> if, if filmography. If you don't know who Roger Corman is, how did you find this podcast? Right, exactly. Go listen to the other CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. Um, <laughs> Don Keith Opper, he's credited as Max 404. In the opening credits, he's even listed as Max 404, introducing Max 404, not Don Keith Opper. So his quick story, uh, you know him mostly from Critters, I believe. Yeah. And yeah, I literally have never seen him in anything else. Okay, yeah, so I've seen him in quite a few other things, um, but he started out as a he worked as a clown, a puppeteer, a bookstore employee, then a studio grip, and then an unrecognized writer before he did carpentry at Roger Corman's shop and found the chance to make Android. So it sounds like he kind of fell into the job. Uh, he, as a, you know, he's, he's worked on a bunch of Corman films, Battle Beyond the Stars, Galaxy of Terror, and then in Android. I guess not a bunch, but a few. But uh, he was in Black Moon Rising. I, I was just going to say, oh, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I have seen something else with him, but I don't even remember him in that movie. It was when um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character goes to get the plans for the uh, uh, like the, the, the blueprints for the building that they're going to break into. Wow. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's actually got a pretty uh, large resume. Yeah, no, he's, and it's, I mean, and again, it's funny because, yeah, we obviously reviewed Black Moon Rising. I, I love that movie. I don't even remember him in it. But anytime I, you know, think of Don Keith Opper, I always think of Critters. And, of course, he plays, you know, 
the the kind of dim-witted um you know uh, what handyman type of thing um but watching this man especially this being like his first movie I'm just like, he is amazing to watch on screen, especially when the, when Koskinski is kind of reprogramming his brain, like all the face acting he's doing. He's amazing, dude. I'm like, holy crap. Why haven't I seen this guy more stuff? And then you look at his, his filmography. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I just, you know, and the funny thing is I've seen some of it. Like he was in an episode of um, uh, Briscoe County Jr. and whatnot, but and Jake and the Fat Man and everything. So things that Vice. I did watch, yeah. but like it's, man, Critters. Maybe it's because in Critters is burned into my mind. I watched Critters One and Critters Two so much as a kid. Probably Critters Two a little bit more than Critters One. I think Critters Two is more kid friendly. I believe. I don't know about that. That's the that had boobs in it. That oh, is yeah. the giant critter ball running over the guy and eating all his flesh off, which is awesome. Take two. I believe Critters <laughs> One is the more kid friendly of the two. I believe. But then the girl gets the uh, harpoon or whatever. She gets the spike in her chest. And yeah, anyways. Yeah. I, I feel like the one sister. of these days we need to cover Critters and Critters 2. Like, if we're going to do one standalone, I'd probably want to do Critters 2. But who knows? Maybe we can do it just do a back-to-back Critters 1 and Critters 2. Tell you right now we're not going to do Critters 3. <laughs> no, <laughs> so no there you or go. any of the others. <laughs> you brought up Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski is in this place, Dr. Daniel. I mean, we, we've talked extensively about Klaus Kinski in the My Best Fiend documentary episode from... I believe that was last year or the year before. Uh, so go back a couple seasons to Podcasting After Dark, where we talked about Klaus Kinski in My Best Fiend. Um, he's got quite the resume. He's going to pop up again on pad in a Western I that I chose. So be on the lookout later this year for that. Okay. Um, but there's moments in this where he loses his shit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably Klaus Kinski acting like a madman. Like when he grabs Maggie's arm and I'm like, yeah, that's a little more forceful than he probably should have. But whatever. Yeah, I was uh, I actually listened to. No, I didn't watch the whole director's commentary. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, uh, Zach and I both have the DVD, but it doesn't have subtitles. So there were some things I was unclear on. So I kind of I switched over to director's commentary a couple times. And every time I do, they're talking about how scared everyone, everyone was of Koskinski. And they weren't sure what he was going to do. And uh, I might bring it up later. I didn't really take note of it. Um, but I'll just say it now. Uh, later when he's like grabbing Cassandra one's arm um, when he releases his hand on her arm, like you can see the white, like, you know, like when you squeeze someone's arm really hard, you can see the white when you take their hand away, you can see like every single fucking finger was on her wrist. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's notorious for flying off the handle and being a whack job. So, um, you know, and I, I love, I love his performances that he gives and I think he does a wonderful job in this as Dr. Daniel, but he's probably a nightmare to work with. And in this day and age probably would, would not be working if he was yeah, probably working. not. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brie Howard plays Maggie, one of the two females in this film. Uh, she has actually she was in a rock band um yeah she played drums i believe that's how they uh that's how they discovered her the the casting director for this right right and she's been in quite a few cool 80s movies uh i believe she's you know semi-retired now um she was in the music video for robbie neville's c'est la vie c'est la vie vie. this is the way it goes i love that song but 
yeah. Anyways, um, she was also in Out of Bounds. Have you seen that one before? I love Out of Bounds. That's a movie that I wish was on Blu-ray, and it's shocking that it's not. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall is really cool in that. Oh, Glenn Turman is in it. I love that dude. Yeah, uh, Out of Bounds is great. Uh, if you've never seen it, um, I think you can probably find it on uh, YouTube. Jeff Cobra's in it. He's really creepy in it as well. Oh, of course. Uh, and, I mean, and, and by the way, we're going to, at some point in our future, we will talk about Glenn Turman again because he was in John Dies at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I I think it's it goes without saying that Out of Bounds is, she's she is uh, credited as a writer on one of the songs in Out of Bounds. So she's oh. actually not in Out of Bounds. Oh, she's okay. on the soundtrack. Um, okay. But she's actually, in the... Yeah, I actually liked Brie Howard in this. I thought she was enjoyable. I thought she was great too. And uh, if you've ever if you've never seen the Runnin' Kind, it's a cool musical movie. Uh, I believe I saw that back in the day. She's she's good in that. Yeah, she, I thought she was great. I thought she did a really good job. I think everybody did, uh, and it, especially Norbert Weiser, who plays Keller, aka Gunther. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you said especially him because actually he was like, I, I mean, probably Don Keith Oprah was my favorite in the movie, but he was probably my second favorite actor in the film. And his resume, you know, speaks for that. He's got, uh, I'll just list off a few movies that he's done. Well, he was actually in Better Call Saul in 2020, but um, he was in The Midnight Express, which is a classic uh, prison movie. And he had a, I think he had a pretty big role in that. Um, he, I mean, he's done some, a handful of like B level cheese ball movies, but he's like in the road to Wellville, which was a big movie. Schindler's list, um, arcade, which is a favorite of mine from full moon, hocus pocus Chaplin. I mean, so he's got a extensive resume. Yeah, he. I mean, he's working up until today, and he also does video game work. He he was he played Adolf Hitler in the uh, Wolfenstein Two game that came out in 2017. Oh, nice Wolfenstein! I remember that game. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they they re- uh, like sort of you know redid it and everything, and uh, for the modern generation of, of games, I never played that one though. I mean, I nice. played the the update of uh, Doom Doom though. I remember that game too. I remember that crappy movie with the Rock. <laughs> God, I watched that movie. Three nights in a row, one time through a sheer of uh, like a, sh- a c- bunch of coincidences forced me to watch that movie three nights in a row. I never need to see it ever again. Yeah, I remember opening night going to see it, and I'm like, I want my money back. It's terrible. <laughs> um, Crofton Hardister. Now that's that's a great not name. my name. <laughs> well, if he chose, if he didn't choose it, whoever chose it for him picked a great name for him. Crofton Hardister plays Mendez, aka Popov. Don't call me that. Right. Yeah. Don't call me that. Um, it's I mean, not he, my name. He's not. He hasn't been in a lot of movies, but he was in Saving Private Ryan. He was in the Alien Nation TV show, uh, Emmanuel Five. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was also in A Team, The Fall Guy, and, yeah. uh, and Hardcastle McCormick. Uh, that was one I didn't watch. One of the best theme songs to a TV show. Drive. Put your better burger, burger, burger. I'm sure Diallo knows it by like the back of his hand. Yeah, Diallo is going to be like, that song is amazing. Yes. <laughs> okay, note to uh, editor Corey, add uh, Hardcastle McCormick onto the TV Obscura list. Yes, please. And last but not least, Kendra Kirchner plays Cassandra, Cassandra 1, uh, if you would, if you want to get really <laughs> technical. No, you should have said Cassandra 1 if you're nasty. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, Cassandra won if you're nasty. How about that? Um, that's all she's got. That's all she's yeah. known for. And I think she did a good job in this, too. Honestly, she did. I imagine she must have been maybe a model or something uh, to begin with um, or by trade or whatever. But, yeah, she's she did great for her, her role in this. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. I, I, I got no complaints for Cassandra 1. <laughs> no, baby, no. What do you say? Should we uh, should we kick off CBN Network with uh, with a little searching for my baby? Burr, 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 burr. All right, Max four hundred four, kick it. Deep space, undisturbed, peaceful, isolated, and experiments with the creation of life. <laughs> Three desperate characters running for their lives. Meet Max. Space is all he knows. And he desperately wants more. What kind of work do you do here, Max? I'm Dr. Daniel's assistant, as I said. You didn't say anything about the experiment? No, sir. Of course not. Max didn't tell me there was a woman with you. Now, let me get this straight. You've got a... An android. That's uh, like a robot, right? That's correct. And you want to hook me up to this robot and stimulate me. Stimulate like sex, right? Sit down. What are you talking about? Max is an android. Well, that was very well done, Max. Really? Well, I've been doing a lot of research. Come on, Maggie. There's plenty to go around. Murders. Serious crimes. These games are driving him crazy. I've created the prototype of the perfect working class. You're both the androids. Not to mention the perfect woman. There are others like us on Earth, Max, in hiding, and we're going to join them. Movie opens, cold open, no um, production company, any of that, blah, blah, blah. But there's a cool opening font for the, the Android font. Yeah. Uh, the title looks really neat. While the credits are playing, there are these two hands, which we later find out are belonging to Max 404, building a mechanical robot. Suddenly, the robot model comes to life, and it approaches another robot, which is a female robot, and they start making out. And... It, the scene fades. It's really I mean, sweet, actually. Yeah, and it's very appropriate for the themes that this movie's going to be about and 
props to them for having a little uh, stop motion thing happening right here at the beginning. I will tell you right away, this movie, what they do with their low budget constraints, it looks just as good as Star Wars at times. Okay. Hold on. Settle down. <laughs> at times it does. It's good. It is it is very good. I wouldn't put it there. I wouldn't put it there. But you're not wrong. They It's it's better than the, the you know, like what they have any right to be. Yes, I, I agree. This movie is definitely better than its budget has any right to be. Yeah. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Corey was it. about to reach through the screen and grab my <laughs> neck like from... Uh, Videodrome. All right. So after that, the movie starts. You hear this cool kind of, uh, what is it, 1960s soul song called Searching for My Baby by Bobby Moore. Yep. And uh, Max 404 is watching a video on sexual function, human heterosexual video, uh, which basically shows how to tongue kiss another woman. Which will come into play later and just as awkward as the instructional video yes. would have you to believe. Um, right out of the gate, uh, uh, Max 404, he has a terrible, terrible wig. And I was like, I knew, yeah, and, and I knew that, Ke- uh, you know, Keith Oper is, or Don Keith Oper, he's kind of balding and everything in, in uh, uh, he just doesn't have that much hair in critters and whatnot. And I was like, okay. I kind of have a feeling that this is going to become a thing later, and it does. And so, like, right out of the gate, you're like, oh, it's it's a bad wig job. Just know it's supposed to be, and that's yeah. and it's really cool. It's all intentional. It's all. Yeah. I'd say most of the things in this movie are intentional. There's gaffes here and there, but whatever. It's a low-budget movie. Uh, I also want to point out, too, that this music that they're playing, it kind of gives you that vibe of almost like a Joe Dante-type movie. You know, Joe Dante uses a lot of like Sam Cooke and Bobby Moore's not Sam Cooke, but has a similar fun vibe to him in that way. Yeah. One. Yeah. No, I f- I'm feeling that. He's suddenly interrupted by Dr. Daniel on the uh, intercom and the doctor asks, what's that noise, Max? And Max says, oh, I'm just doing some research, sir, on the um, Earth 21st century. He giggles and smiles. And Dr. Daniel asks him if, if he's logged in yet, tells him to log in and shut down for the night. Real quick, guys and gals, um, I don't think we mentioned it. Um, uh, Klaus Kinski is Dr. Daniel. He is Dr. Dr. Daniel. Daniels, yeah. it's with an S. Yeah, and and so uh, Max 404, Max 404 is in like a control computer room, basically. This is my favorite set in the movie. Yeah, me too, me too. It's it kind of got a of, Tron vibe. Yeah, and like a Death Star base. Yeah, yep. Yes, no, I mean, you're not wrong, buddy, and this is 1982, so Star Wars is still pretty, um, you know, strong in people's minds. I wouldn't be surprised if this was written after, you know, Keith Don, or Don Keith Opel, uh, Oper, uh, you know, watched Star Wars, because there's even, like, Blue Leader to, you know, Blue Squadron, you know what I mean? Well, apparently he kind of patterned his movements off of C-3PO. Yes, exactly, Uh, and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Agreed. 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 (laughs) Agreed. Um, sorry, I took you off oh, track. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Max, uh, the doctor says goodnight, and Max wants to say one more thing, but the doctor just cuts him off. <laughs> and Max logs on to kind of like the um, what do you call it? The uh, audio um, transmitter, yeah, like a, the log, the star log, right? Yeah, there you go. Captain's and log, as Cap- it were. 
Yeah, and, and the ship's log. And uh, says there's nothing unusual to report, as usual. Uh, Max goes on to say that the radar is picking up the same signal, as usual. He logs off, and he shuts down for the night, and he's sitting in an empty, isolated control area, and he's the only one there. He starts playing a video game that looks an awful lot like the old Star Trek Atari game. Star Wars Atari game. Oh, oh Star Trek one had? Because they have one? I think they did because some of the ships look a little like Romulan ships. Yeah. I, or uh, I, what do you I, call them? Klingon Klingons, ships. The Klingons Bird of Prey. Yeah, but it has that like sort of um, vector graphics like the old Star Wars uh, It does, game but I, I'm probably, I could be wrong, but I feel like Star Trek had a video game as well that was okay. basically the same as the Star Wars one, I think. Okay. Maybe not. Game still looks fun, though, by the way. Super fun. And, I mean, Max 404 is having a good time playing, and he's making explosion noises like the <laughs> like a little kid. <laughs> he is. I actually kind of like that. The, the last time I saw that was in Cloak and Dagger when Davey's playing video games. <laughs> uh, and real quick, uh, Zach, I, I just looked it up. And yeah, man, you're right. There is, um, there was a Star Trek arcade game um, back in the day. Uh, looks like it was, um, yeah, kind of, kind of similar to the Star Wars one, where it's like that vector graphics look and everything. So I, I never saw that in my life, but yeah, good call, dude. If you want more nostalgia like that, coming soon, '80s Kids <laughs> Unite is going to be a very special show where it's going to be podcasting after dark and two dollar late fee combining forces for a monthly show exclusively on both networks yeah i'm I'm super excited for it man me too we may may we'll bring up the star trek game (laughs) suddenly max sees a transmission being sent through to the lab where dr daniel is he pushes a button on his monitors to listen to dr daniel's conversation dr daniel is shouting with somebody from you don't know where exactly but you later find out it's the corporation the corporation is the umbrella of what the research company that Dr. Daniel works for is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah. It's very Aliens, Weyland yutani esque there, There's yes. the, the company, the corporation, but you don't really see it or, or anything. But, you know, you can tell they're, they're, they're pulling the strings. Dr. Daniel's shouting like, you know, you can't shut this project down now. And the man he's talking to on the other, se- uh, on the other side says, there's simply not enough money to keep it going. And Daniel says, that's a lie. The man on the other side says, we're losing money because of the Munich Rebellion, which is on the rise with the terraform trying to hunt them down with minimal results. That's all important information, by the way. Uh, Dr. Daniel says, but I'm on the brink of success. (laughs) While he's looking at his formulas and scientific notations, the man on the other side says, the corporation has suffered a series of assassinations and the project that you're doing is illegal and dangerous and the corporation is concerned about being being exposed for what's going on in the lab (laughs) suddenly like you can tell klaus or dr daniel's not paying attention to anything the man says because he says what about the woman i'm supposed to get (laughs) and the man says you're not getting one and then the doctor says so all my work is for nothing (laughs) It makes me think of Blues Brothers. Your women. I want to buy your women. <laughs> <laughs> Max is listening intently while he's playing his video game. The man talking to Dr. Daniel says that the Cassandra One project is terminated. By the way, at one point, um, the, the, the man talking to Dr. Daniel calls him Durgan. 
which I think was a mistake. But okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, the man tells the man on the other end talking to Doctor Daniel says to face reality, and Doctor Daniel ends the signal as the man is repeating it again to face reality. Max turns off the signal, listening to the doctor. And so this I thought was really cool. I first off, I, you caught more of that dialogue than I did because I, I, I watched didn't. it four I, times. You're welcome, <laughs> yeah. Cam. Yeah, I, I tried, man. It was it was tough uh, kind of getting that dialogue down. But I did pick up on some things. Um, I liked the whole concept of the company. I liked how these like there was this idea that there's corporate assassinations are happening. Um, but what I really dug was this whole Munich uprising. And we're going to hear more about it later. Um, but I like the fact that we never see it. And it just builds the lore of this world very much, let's go back to Star Wars, very much akin to In A New Hope when Obi-Wan is talking about the Clone Wars. And, you know, back, obviously way back in the day before we had the prequels, it was just cool, this throwaway line about the Clone Wars. And I remember me and my friends would be at the on the playground, be like, what do you think the Clone Wars was and, and this and that. And I just love when you throw stuff into movies like this that kind of allude to that there's either history before what you're actually seeing on screen um, or there's just other things are happening at the same time. And right now it kind of seems like the Munich uprisings may be happening like currently, maybe it like happened sort of like within the last six months or something, but it's, it's something that adds to this movie. It adds to the lore, but it also adds to the motivation of characters in this movie. And again, you don't ever really see or know what the Munich uprising is. No, you're right. You're right. You only hear about it. There's, there's shades of alien in this, too, with the uh, a- android element. Yeah, I mean, I think that this movie, and maybe this is like a final discussion sort of thing, but you're mentioning it now, this movie does a great job of borrowing from a bunch of different things, but like never like ripping them off, but just borrowing and like being like, no, this is a good idea. Let me let me tinker with this. And sometimes, man, and you know what? You got yourself a stew right there, you know? They just borrow sure different do. pieces. You sure do. It's 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 a menudo, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Max gets a mayday call from a woman asking for help. Max answers the call. The woman says they've sustained engine damage, and she's requested permission to dock at their lab. Max gets excited about this. You can see that the he can see that the ship is approaching quickly on the radar. He grants them permission and gives them coordinates. He calls back to see if they read the coordinates, but they don't respond. Finally, the woman responds and says, "I can read you." Cut to Maggie piloting a ship wearing what appears to be a prison jumpsuit. Yeah. Quick cut to Max saying, oh, this is this is fantastic. He gets all excited. <laughs> cut back to Maggie questioning, like, why he's excited. Her situation is anything but fantastic at this point. Right. Suddenly she hears a manual duck. She gets out of the cockpit control uh, that she's at and ducks a laser blast that almost hits her. A man runs in with, like, a terracore suit which is important because it's going to come back uh and shoots at her but its gun is knocked out of his arm by keller aka gunther keller gets pushed down to the ground by the man the man goes to shoot keller but maggie blasts him and kills him they have a quick banter back and forth and quickly you see mendez aka popov running down the hallway towards the control bridge of the ship he's shouting at them to like cover him basically maggie and keller go to cover Mendez as he's coming down the hallway. He jumps out of the way of laser fire that's coming from behind him. He kind of like lands on his back. So he can kind of like, he dives, but kind of like sort of not spins, but he's kind of landing on his back facing um, the shooter. So like he can basically shoot back essentially. 
Right. And all three of them eventually kill all the people that are firing at them. And I got to say, the interior design of this uh, spaceship, transport ship, whatever it is, damn good. It's a damn good job of this uh, interior design. It looks easily at, you know, out of aliens or anything right. uh, of a higher budget. Um, but another thing I noted, you know, so you're going to find out that the people they were shooting at um, are like, you know, guards slash, you know, police officers of the future. Right. Um, and even and later, you're going to see this as well with the other police officers. There's just as many males as there are females. Like and I, I thought that was just kind of a neat thing for 1982 to have just as many women in the the police department as as men and the space police as men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean, there's a level of diversity. Maggie is of Asian descent, it looks like. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to see. Something that's a little outside the box. Yeah. Yes. Of, Again, especially for 1982. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mendez gets inside the cockpit with, uh, or like the control deck or whatever, with Keller and Maggie. And so, sorry, real quick, we should note uh, Gunter and Mendez also are wearing um, the like a prison suit versus like these military suits that that the other guards have. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They get inside the the front of the ship. Mendez tells him to close the door. He pushes Keller against the wall. Mendez doesn't think all the people have been killed. And Maggie points out that they got one, which is Popov, by the way, on the ground dead. It's the captain of the ship that they killed. Mendez is happy, but then gets angry and shoves Keller against the control panel wall. Mendez asks where Keller was. He needed support. And Maggie covers for Keller by saying he shot Popov on the floor as well. But she called him a squid, by the way. She called Popov a squid, which I thought was funny because I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that since Trancers. We'll we'll later hear it again in Trancers, which came out a couple years after. I wonder if that was a term, like if other movies are using it. Like, is that a thing? I don't know, but I kind of like it. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah. Watch it have some kind of racist undertone and we don't know it, you know? Yeah, right. Mendez is excited that they broke out and Keller tells him not to celebrate just yet. Maggie calls them over to the ship's monitor where they can see Max's um, space lab that they're approaching. Maggie tells Keller and Mendez to lose the bodies and think of an alias before they dock. And the space lab looks great, as so does the miniatures. All the miniature work in this is awesome. Um, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, it's almost as good as Star Wars. Almost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Max sees that they're approaching and goes to the observation deck to see the ship coming in to dock. I wrote down cool special effects, by the way. The ship docks, and before they arrive in the base, Max is practicing his introductions over and over again. He's kind of stammering over himself. And as he's practicing his, you know, introductions, uh, Keller is the first to arrive. And he he introduces himself as Gunter Stryker. And he's wearing a hat that's very reminiscent of uh, something from Alien. Like, um, uh, uh, what's his face in Alien? Um... Uh, Brett, right? Uh, Brett played by Avenge Me from Red Dawn. He was also yeah, in Repo um, Man. And... Repo Man and uh, God damn it. Okay. Oh, Harry, God. De- Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Thank Dean you. Stanton. Yes. Thank you. This. Yeah, I was there. You there. We had to pull it out. Uh, we've got a lot in our minds, guys. We're breaking down <laughs> Cam Sully's Android for crying out loud. Um, yeah, the hat's covered in... for Harry Dean Stanton in our brains. <laughs> right. <laughs> hat is covered in pins. Keller puts his hand out to shake Max's hand. Max looks at it and shakes it, but doesn't let go. Because <laughs> this is all new to Max, right? Mendez walks in, a.k.a. Popov, wearing Popov's jumpsuit. 
I'm hoping I'm not popping on the microphone by saying Popov. <laughs> I won't say it much more. Maggie walks in and also Max- wearing like a fl- not so none of them are wearing their their prison jumpsuits anymore. They're all yeah. wearing clothes that they took from the the police officers, which are really cool looking, by the way. Yeah. And all the costumes are really great, too. Yeah. Maggie walks in and Max beelines it towards her. He immediately walks over and says, you're the woman I spoke to. He welcomes them to the station and he will not take his eyes off her. Maggie introduces herself. She says, call me Maggie. He shakes her hand. Keller says the repairs won't take long. Mendez asks if Max is alone. He says, no, I work for Dr. Daniel. He would have met you himself, but he's asleep. He smiles at them all. Mendez has a big smile on his face. Mendez is a a really cool looking kind of a bad guy. You know, he's the bad guy right away just from his look. Yeah. And the thing is, like, sadly, he's my least favorite character. Like, I wish they didn't make him so dumb. The fact that he's constantly like, that's not my name. It's like, come on, man. You're on the run from you just broke out of prison. Like, if they all made it off the space station by the end of the movie, like, would he really have even made it far on the run if he can't handle anyone calling him by the other another name that's not his own? He's also got the harshest rap sheet when it comes yes. down to so he's probably the most uh, homicidal out of the three. Yes, and and I did note all three of them later, and we'll talk about them when the rap sheets sort of come up. Um, and I get why he needs to be this way, like story wise and everything, but it's just like. I don't know. I just wish there was a little bit. He's kind of a one trick pony sort of thing. Um, but like looks wise, man, like I think he has the looks like he could have. I feel like he, he should have been in more stuff. Uh, maybe it's the acting. Who, who knows? But I, I thought he had the looks to be kind of a bigger actor. Oh, I know. I totally agree. He kind of has like a Billy uh, Worth look from uh, Lost Boys, right? Yeah. 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 A little bit like that. Yeah, he's got the hair too, the bod, everything. It's just, but yeah, he's he's only in a handful of of things. So who who knows, you know? He's got the bod. Uh, at this point, they Max starts to bring them into the ship, and then suddenly an alarm signal goes off, causing all three of the convicts to pull out their weapons and hide behind like barricades to to for for fire. Mendez dives on the ground. That seems to be his mo. Yeah, he's a he's a ground diver, and. Uh, <laughs> Max pushes some buttons on the panel and the alarm turns off. He turns around and see that they're all hiding with their guns drawn. And he goes, oh, no, it's the, the alarm just means that you're carrying weapons. There's no weapons allowed beyond this point. The line that they had crossed, which set off the alarm. He walks over to Maggie and says, the doctor has amazingly strict rules about this. They give Max their guns. And then Max comments on Maggie's lips. He says, they're quite full, aren't they? She <laughs> smiles. <laughs> I wonder if that was in the script. I mean, because the actress, they are. So I wonder if, like, that was in the script already or if, like, that was sort of, you know, ad-libbed. Right. I don't know. It could be. <laughs> and then uh, Max walks over to Mendez to collect his gun, and he calls him Popov, which, of course, Mendez blows a gasket. And That's he not my down, name! That's not my name! And then he looks down at his name tag and smiles and gives his gun to Max. And then he pulls another gun out. And Keller says, you know, like, come on, give him give him your gun. And he does. Max walks away. And then Mendez looks at Keller like and says, bad move, Keller. Basically like the bully, you know, blaming yeah. the little guy for everything that, that goes wrong. Right. Yeah. Max puts the guns in like a rinky dink locker and pushes a button on there and locks the locker. 
Maggie's looking on and smiling at Max the whole time. So I guess she's supposed to be attracted to him? Yeah, I was, right out of the gate, is she supposed to be attracted to him? And not going to lie, Don Keith Opper, not the best-looking guy. I think that's intentional. I mean, it works, though. It works for his for what he's doing. It works. Like, he's he kind of looks like a goofy guy, and and that's he good. Does, he does, but I will say he looks a lot better when you see him with his shaved bald head at, towards the end. Yeah, and creepy, too. Yeah, very much so. Max takes them down a corridor to their, what do you call it? Their uh, quarters, to their quarters. In my notes, and I think in the movie, it's listed as the foreman's corridors. uh, Sorry. It's listed as the foreman's quarters. So it's kind of like a a wing, I think, where they have their own rooms and they have their own, um, like, little lounge area, you know, common area with, like, you know, uh, you know, food and stuff like that. But I always refer to their area as the foreman's quarters. It's listed later, like when you look on a map, like they look on a map somewhere and it says that and everything. Yeah. Um, and there's only a handful of locations. It's here, the the foreman's quarters. There's like an arboretum. Um, there's like the communications place. And then there's like the lab. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's only like four locations. Yes. And they all look totally different, by the way. They do like yet you know yet the same they they still feel like they're they're together and the whole yeah. movie was filmed on you know a soundstage in I think San Diego or something um, but then oh, the, here in our, Venice I think in oh Venice. okay yeah and, and on the Venice sound stages um, and uh, and then the one uh, place which the arboretum was at the uh, I think the L A arboretum or something um, right the I think I've been there actually yeah they. You you've been there. I've seen pictures of you there. I I have been there. Yeah, the L, uh, the it's like a greenhouse. Yeah, I, it's up I, up in Pasadena, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Same one. Yeah. And you saying arboretum makes me think of Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, for some reason. <laughs> Anyways, well, for me, all the uh, arboretum stuff in this remind me of Silent Running. Oh yeah, that yeah for sure. As Max takes them down a corridor. He tells them to watch their step. They conserve. They keep the lights low in the station to conserve power. Keller trips, and when he does, he sees like a, a logo, which is the Terracor logo. Mendez looks down and laughs and says, "I thought alley cats could see in the dark." <laughs> and honestly, like this is one of the few times that the movie doesn't do a great job because it's not that dark in there. You know, it's just the lighting, the, the DP should have done a better job of like sort of making, making the darkers dark and everything. Um, but it's, it's a budget constraint guys. It doesn't take much away from it, but this one little scene to me had that ping of like Roger Corman, low budget, you know, uh, you know, forbidden galaxy type of stuff and everything. But this is a thriller at the at its core, and yeah. there's some uh, key little moments that happen throughout this movie that you have to kind of cue into that I didn't pick up on until like the third viewing that really made sense because you start to put the pieces together as to what is going on in the lab and who everybody is. Agreed. 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 <laughs> Agreed. Max, as they're walking down the corridor, Max tells them that they ever since 2021, they've been in a primary operational posture. And, but in the last seven years, they've been in a tertiary mode. That's why there's only two of us here. Mendez smiles at, for no reason. And they get on an elevator together and brings them to the foreman's quarters. Yeah. He says that the area hasn't been used in years. 
but they, everything should still be in working order. He says it's we cool had because a- you get an idea that that the the ship is the the station's huge, but there's only two people on. You get the idea that it was at one point probably had more funding and was more bustling with people. Yeah, because Max says we had a drone in here about a year ago, and he walks over to a table that's covered in dust. He goes, "Oh, I guess it was about two years ago," <laughs> based on the dust. Maggie walks over to some sort of uh, machine that looks like an oven, and she goes, "What is this? A jukebox?" And Max is like, jukebox? No, it's it's a chef de cuisine. It's a chemical computer. The buttons on the machine correspond to various tastes and simulators when activated. And he pushes a button and nothing happens. So he kind of gently hits it and the machine turns on. He asks Maggie if she likes chicken. She says, sure. He pushes a button that has a picture of a chicken on it. <laughs> and suddenly Max describes that the chemicals are being combined into a palatable consistency that creates the taste of real food. He shows where it should, the tray should come out, and he goes, voila! And suddenly a train, a, a tray shoots out with like what looks like cat food on it, and it shoots Keller in the chest, putting the cat food all over his body. Maggie and Mendez laugh. Max apologizes and starts to wipe off Keller, and Ma- Keller asks if he can get cleaned up somewhere. That kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. I was a big TNG kid growing up, and they have that, the replicator, you know, and they can make anything they want. And, you know, obviously it, it's more of like, a, you know, kind of appears and everything, but it's kind of a similar idea, and I, yeah. I thought this was yeah. cool because this is before Star Trek Next Generation. It's true, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a cool novel idea. Mm-hmm. Keller goes to get washed off, and... Max walks Mendez and Maggie to their quarters. Max walks them by the AV area, audiovisual, and he says there's a, a wide variety of recreational tapes to watch. And Mendez asks if there's any porn. And Max <laughs> says, oh, you mean sexual instruction and smiles. He goes, well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Popov. And Mendez goes, don't call me Popov. Don't call me that. It's not my name. And then Maggie interrupts and says, it's been a long day. And Max takes them to their rooms. It's funny to note that Max uses his elbow to open up the quarters because his hands are covered in the goop. <laughs> so the cat, the cat food or whatever. Right. Uh, he takes Maggie and Mendez into one room. And Maggie says, this is a whole lot better than what they were used to. Mendez starts to describe like what they've been doing. And Max like kind of doesn't care. <laughs> Max says to Mendez, let me show you to your room. And Mendez says, oh, no, I'll be staying here. And Max goes, oh, gets excited. And then Keller walks in. Max asks if Keller will be sleeping there as well. And Mendez says, uh, Mr. Stryker will be needing another room. <laughs> Maggie looks at Mendez and looks a little concerned, and the door closes. Yeah, I... I don't quite understand the Gunter and and Maggie's relationship. They almost have like a, it's either sort of friendship. It's, it's sort of maybe attraction, but Maggie's sort of with Mendez to maybe as protection sort of, or because he's the alpha and he's claiming it. But my first thing was, I was like, is Gunter a cuck? Is he like a cuck this whole movie? I don't think so. I think he's like the, like quote brains behind the operation yeah you know it's a three-person job kind of thing they all got thrown together uh and i get the sense that yeah maggie is being taken advantage of by mendez 
But Keller's but like, just like the guy. He they're they're not he, they're not romantically linked. That's my vibe. Right, but now that like they're not obviously like incarcerated and they're they're sort of free, why does why does Mendez have so much control over Maggie that she can't like even break away? Because he's an alpha male. <laughs> they do make fun of him in that aspect later. Yeah, they do, and I believe I love that you said cuck. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, that's literally the first thing I thought. I was like, is Gunther a cuck? <laughs> right. Um, G- Keller tells Max to call him Gunter. Max drops his stuff. Keller. I'm just going to call him Keller. Keller dropped his stuff off in his room and they go back to the mess hall. Keller sits down at a table looking down at Max as Max cleans up the mess from the food. And he asks what kind of work they do here. And Max goes, oh, I'm Dr. Daniel's assistant. But then this is really interesting. He reaches out to the tray that's on the ground, the metal tray, and it suddenly charges towards him like a magnet. And Keller's reactions like, oh, my God, like, did I just see that? And that was my reaction. I felt like I sort of blinked and I actually rewound it. And I love the fact that Max is looking back at Keller when he does it. And it only kind of, you know, it only goes like, you know, like 12 inches, maybe like a foot and a half. So it's not like a huge distance. But at the same time, you're just like, what the fuck? And then, you know, Keller's reaction is the same as all of ours, you know, would have been. Uh, The only thing I just kind of wish is it doesn't kind of get expanded upon, like, with the powers that maybe Max has. Like, because clearly it's like, okay, if he's an android, is this like some kind of electromagnetic thing that he can do? Like, what is this? But I love it. It's I love it because it's so subtle. Like, if you're not paying attention, you won't notice. Yeah. But if you are paying attention, you go, wait, something's going on. Something is going on here. Yeah, because it's not like they zoomed in on it or something. Like, you, oh, no. I swear to God, I almost blinked and missed it, uh, you know, the first time. Yeah, I love, I'm a sucker for subtlety, and this movie is filled with subtle moments like that where you're like, oh, they're totally alluding to something, and if you're not paying attention, it's a smart movie. It's a really smart movie. Yeah, just like, same with the wig. Like you don't, they don't come right out and say anything. Like they don't ever, like no one ever comes out and says that Max is an android until like sort of later when you sort of realize it. But at the same time, Max never says that he's not. All of his dialogue, he never lies. Like he's not lying. He is the assistant. He, he's even later he says he's been here for five years, but he doesn't say that he's only been alive for five years. Right. Right. But he never actually lies. No, he never does. Because if they asked him, he might just tell them. Who knows? Suddenly, after he takes the tray, he asks Keller if he needs anything to use the call button system. And he starts to walk out and tells him to have a good night. Keller looks back over to where Maggie and Mendez are. And Keller walks over to the tray that Max... Max puts the tray like on a, on a, a conveyor belt type thing like that goes into the wall. A trash system. And Keller walks over to the tray to inspect it. But then he hears Mendez yelling at Maggie. They're arguing and Mendez is like, what are you, the Queen of Sheba? By the way, um, when they cut to the scene of Mendez and, and Maggie arguing, Mendez has a cool patch on his shirt that says Voodoo Medicine Man. Interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And then he has another one on the back that's kind of looks a little bit like an airborne patch, but I don't think that's what it is. Okay. Is that is that one from is it, is it technically his or is it technically 
the guy he took it from. I the think captain it's of the captain, Captain okay. Popov. Popov. Okay, got it. Papa, Papa. That's not my name. <laughs> Hulk smash. Maggie tells Mendez to back off, and Mendez says, "We had a deal, and you're sticking to it." And he grabs Maggie, and she's like, "Let go of me." But then out of nowhere, she leans in. She starts kissing him and they start making out. Cut back to Keller looking at the tray that Max was holding earlier. And he's looking at the Terracor logo on the wall. And real quick, I mean, thoughts on the wall design. I know, you know, I'm talking about like those four, three or four colored lines that are painted. It's so very 70s looking yet. This is 1982. Yeah, it reminds me of like the Jason of Star Command, like that yeah. filmation TV show. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Like it's yeah. it's really cool looking. It it's very simple. Um again, this movie what it does with with its bare minimum budget is pretty remarkable. It it reminds me of a design that maybe you see like that you would see like Space Mountain back in the day, like in the the interior oh, of the totally. line for Space Mountain, you know. I love that aesthetic. I love it throughout this whole thing i'm like yep this all works for me because it's 82 we talked about this before um there's still hints of the 70s in the early 80s movies you know okay yeah i think you and i've mentioned it or i've talked about it with somebody at one point that you know just like 90s movies still have like an 80s vibe if they're in the early early 90s right yes yes yeah so this still does yeah have that 70s vibe to it yeah Cut to Max playing with his two robots, his two models, and now he's calling one of them Maggie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he says to the Maggie doll, tell me about Earth. And then as Max is holding the dolls, as he as the Maggie doll, he suddenly mimics her voice completely, which is really interesting. Like he yeah. Can, and then you realize that at that point, oh, yeah, he is an android. Yeah, and that gave me shades of Terminator when, you know, he would call or say something and, yeah, change his voice and everything. I love that. I'm always a sucker for this, literally this specific thing when a robot can change its voice and the actor will, you know, obviously mime and mimic and, and, you know, I I don't know. I'm a sucker for it every single time. Yeah, it happens once or twice in uh, again in the movie and when it it happens, it's always really entertaining because you're like, whoa, what? That's cool. Um, This is a really sweet scene because... The two robots are dancing. Max is asking about Chicago. And it's it just shows that he wants more than what he has right now in life. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. He stops and looks at both of the robots, lays them down, and the scene fades. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. We get a quick exterior shot of the space lab, which looks really cool again. And then Keller's in the lounge area of their quarters. 
Maggie walks in just wearing a pajama top. Keller's playing solitaire. She asks Keller if, if he's been up all night. He says he slept on and off. He says, looks like you've slept mostly on. <laughs> she gets annoyed with him. And then, then they both like kind of make this like macho kind of sexist joke about being macho. I think they're, they're referring to Mendez. Yeah, they're both making fun of Mendez together. And th- right. this is when I was like, they clear. I feel like they like each other, but yet they're she's buddies. with Mendez. I think they're, you know, they're buddies. Like they're they homies. Have, yeah. yeah. Then Mendez walks in shirtless with his... Uh, with his rockin' bod. <laughs> right, with his rockin' bod. And Maggie walks off to take a shower. Keller asks if Mendez slept well, and he tells him to shut up. <laughs> Cut to a cool mechanical bird chirping in the greenhouse. Max walks into the greenhouse. He's looking at the orchids in the greenhouse. And the doctor is there as well. He comments to the doctor how they're coming along, and the doctor screams at him, Don't touch them! (laughs) Dr. Dr. Daniel appears from, like, the plant area. And it's cool because the orchids will come back into play later. Yeah. He asks Max what he's doing now. Max said, Oh, some people arrived last night. But then Dr. Daniel says, What? Suddenly the bird that was chirping explodes. (laughs) Why? Because it's it's controlled by Doctor Daniel's mind. Ah, yes, you're right. After after yeah, after you find out, well, you know, we'll save that as a non spoiler. We'll talk about that when it comes. Because I was shocked I think by it's that. Too late. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. Daniels may or may not be in Android as well. By the way, folks, everyone listening, if you've never seen this movie, there's a pretty shitty version on YouTube, but it's uncut. You can watch that one. Go watch it now if you don't want any spoils. But yeah. If you do want spoils, we're going to spoil it all. <laughs> yeah, it's only an hour and 20 minutes, so you can watch it real quick and then come back to the show. Right. And, Dr- di- and disregard the fact that I said that Klaus Kinsey may or may not be an android. Exactly. May or may not be. The doctor <laughs> says, why didn't you wake me? And the doctor, by the way, is holding like garden clippers. And he's pointing them right at Max's face. And they're probably about an inch or two from his face. So I'm sure when they filmed this... Don Opper was like, dude, Simadana. Yeah, yes, but you know he couldn't because he was a first-time actor, and this is Klaus Kinski that he's talking to. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Daniel says, I warned you, you're not allowed to make any decisions on your own, Max. And Max says, but but the codes. And Daniel says, don't talk to me about the codes. I swear to God, I thought he was going to say, I wrote the codes. <laughs> right. And Dr. Daniels asks, the doctor asks what kind of ship they're flying and how many are there. The doctor says, I want them out of here. I will speak to them. The doctor says, I'm perfectly capable of cleaning out my own house. And he walks off. Max follows him. Max is about to say that there's a woman with a group, but he doesn't get a chance to. Like, he's excited to tell the doctor, but the doctor, like, is already stormed off at this point. Yep. Cut to Mendez and Keller in the mess hall of their quarters eating breakfast. Mendez is freaking out because the machine that's supposed to give out the food isn't working. But Keller found canned food, so he gives one to Mendez. Mendez says, no thanks. Had enough of that in the slammer. Mendez says, how long is it going to take to fix the ship? Keller says, what's the rush? Mendez says, the guys are looking for us. Keller says, what if I told you we stumbled into a gold mine here? Mendez says, I'd say you're hallucinating. Keller points out the logos of Terracor. He says, they do a lot of offline research, the kind of research that's illegal on Earth. Mendez says, so what? Keller says, have you heard of robots? But before he can say anything more, Dr. Daniels and Max walk into the quarters. 
Mendez goes to introduce himself to the doctor with his hand out to shake it. But Dr. Daniel doesn't even, he just totally blows past him and ignores him. They introduce themselves and (laughs) Keller is introducing Mendez as Popoff and Mendez gets upset again saying, I told you not to call me that. (laughs) And Daniel says, what is your name? And then Mendez says, Mendez. Doctor well, says. He kind of, he has to think about it though. He's like, uh, Mendez. It's yeah. like, it's like what name like, should I choose? It's, it's almost like he's trying to think of another alias. And then it's almost like a Homer Simpson thing. You know, he's thinking of another alias, but he just says his own name. Yeah. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> doctor, 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 doctor. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> uh, the doctor immediately says, look, your friends have to, you and your friends have to leave this place immediately. Keller and Mendez look at each other kind of stunned. And at the same time, Maggie walks out of the bathroom with just a towel on draped around her body. And Klaus Kinski proceeds to eye fuck her. He eye bangs her so hard. (laughs) And Mr. Creepy, he's now become totally creepy. uh, And he says he can't take his eyes off her just like Max couldn't earlier. And he goes, Max, you didn't tell me there was a woman in your group. And Maggie says, oh, excuse me. And she walks back into the bathroom. The doctor's in love. He forgets what he was saying. And Max, he says, what was I saying? And Max repeats what he was saying with Dr. Daniel's voice. Yeah. Match. And it's interesting because Keller and Mendez, they don't get a shot of their reactions. I, I, I think that's a misstep on the, the, the filmmaker's part because they should have been like looking at each other going, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah, I they don't think Max. Yeah, and I didn't notice it the first time either. Yeah, they don't realize Max is an android until the very end of the movie. Well, Gunther does. Well, Keller, Gunther, Keller does. Sorry, Keller, Maggie doesn't. Yeah, Maggie doesn't, and Mendez doesn't either, right? Yeah, well, until Mendez find, doesn't believe it, um, but yeah, Gunther tells him pretty much from the get-go, or true. I think that's coming up soon. Yeah, actually, it's coming. I think in the same scene. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> the doctor says, "Never mind." Suddenly, he becomes very nice. And he says, I understand you had a close call. If there's anything you need, Max will be happy to assist you. Keller looks very suspicious. The doctor dismisses himself and calls for Max. Max follows him into the elevator as well, and they leave. Keller asks, why did Mendez give him his real name? And Mendez says, what difference does it make? We're going to kill both of them anyway. Oh. Mm-hmm. The plot sickens. As Gunther would say. And then Keller says, maybe not both of them. And the scene fades. Maybe it's that thing that he just did with his voice that Max did. Maybe that's what cued Keller off, or uh, Gunter Keller Gunter off. Sealed the deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he probably already had his suspicions. Scene fades, and you cut to the doctor and Max walking down the hallway. Doctor says to Max, I want you to arrange a lunch for me with the woman. Tell her to meet me in the greenhouse. Max starts to ask a question, but Daniel, the doctor interrupts and says, Do it now, Max. The doctor adjusts his blue jacket, which is important, cleaning himself up slightly. The doctor walks off annoyed and walks to his lab. Kel- cut, cut back to Keller with Mendez in the, li- in the mess hall area, telling Mendez about the Terracor, saying that the company is deep into manufacturing androids. Mendez says, those are the ones that get out of control and revolted. Yeah, I heard the whole story in the slammer. They went on a rampage, killing and raping women. They turned Munich into a war. 
Yeah, so so they they killed the workers and then they raped the women, and I'm like, oh my god, like this movie is darkly horny. Like it's horny, but it's like dark horny. You it's know? a PG sex movie. Yes, it's wild. But yeah, and this is this is. I mean, that's obviously not cool, but it's cool <laughs> that we get again more of this the the Munich Revolt and how it's this thing in the movie that we never see, but it clearly has so much. Like it affects everything that happens in the movie and i just i love that though i just i just i love it man i love it when they world build uh you know sort of that way and this is also too when i sort of cued in on the fact i was like this movie could 100 percent take place in the aliens universe or the blade runner universe or they're both the same universe as per uh, uh ridley scott um it could easily take place in that universe and i would totally buy it yeah yeah i absolutely agree Keller says the corporation got scared and they got the alliance to outlaw androids. Keller says they killed them off, the androids. But that's what they thought. Mendez says, what are you talking about? Keller says, Max is an android. Mendez laughs and says, are you crazy? I know a robot if I saw one. Keller says, you saw one and you didn't know it. <laughs> I like that. I like how he says, yeah. you did see one. It's right there. Like I, That was cool. Right. And then suddenly the back door of the quarters opens and it's Max. Cut to the doctor in his lab and there's a body on an operating table with a sheet covered it, covering it. The doctor turns on a monitor to observe Mendez and Keller and Max in their quarters. He listens to them and then he switches the monitor over to Maggie's room where he sees Maggie in her quarters. He closes in on Maggie and she's completely naked. She doesn't know she's being watched, by the way. No, 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 she doesn't. And I am shocked that there was right, right here our first bit of nudity, and I did one of the uh, live watchings where I texted Zach as I was watching it. I was like, "Tate's like right here," and then like, "There's gonna be more. There's gonna be more in a PG movie." And I thought, like, if this was it, I would have been like, "Hey, that's awesome." There's gonna be more. How did this get a PG rating? I it's beyond me. I mean, it's before PG thirteen, obviously, but I'm feeling like based on the amount of nudity borderline r now nowadays we would we'd be an r i think it would be an r especially since you know there's some uh, a couple gruesome kills as well oh there's um, really gross some of the special effects are pretty intense yeah it, it, but it the nudity aspect does remind me of doc hollywood when that was uh that was pg-13 right and then what's that was, name was like standing there just completely nude for a like, talking to michael j fox for like five minutes nude and i remember as a kid i was like full frontal i, I know i was like i was like looking around i'm like I don't know if I was supposed to rent this. You know what I mean? I saw that in the theater with my mom. It was very awkward, too. Well, I, I am w- the one and only. <laughs> but I would say that that's not your mom's fault this time. Like, that was... I, no one saw nudity coming in that movie. It was never my mom's fault. And we didn't have shit to warn us, to warn us ahead of time back in the day. Yeah. Like, uh, well, Common Sense Media, by the way. All of you parents out there, if you want a website to preview stuff before you watch it common sense media is a good one to go to they tell you all the stuff that you know is for for and not for kids well and then also like i mean i have no problem with with rating systems i never have a problem with any kind of rating systems and you know they do nowadays say what this movie's rated for so you know it would say nudity if it you know but oh yeah it it was a it was a different time guys it was a different time and she's she's got a Sweet little bod too, but yes, yeah, she does. Yeah, she got some guns on her too. That's yep. that's from the drums. That's from playing the drums. Yep, yep. Um, 
where was I? Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> we're off the track. <laughs> she uh, suddenly the doctor takes out a pencil and a file, and the file says activation experiment thirty eight, Cassandra, requisite bioelectric potent. He makes some computations on a computer, and he pulls out a clear like Scantron sheet, and the numbers printed on the Scantron sheet match the numbers on the requisite bioelectric potent file. The doctor goes back to watching Maggie, and the scene cuts to Max with Mendez and Keller. So so I guess we're supposed to lead to believe that he kind of ran a scan on her, which it, you kind of saw that the screen sort of changed a little bit. It did, And, yep. and doing that scan essentially says that she's compatible with uh, Cassandra 1, her, her biometrics right. or whatever. Right. When Max is with Keller and Mendez, Max asks if Maggie will be out soon, and Mendez... Mendez says, what do you, why do you want to see her, Max? Max says, oh, Dr. Daniel wants to have lunch with her. Mendez starts to get upset, but Keller calms him down, and Keller says, isn't that nice? Keller calls out Maggie to her room and says that Max would like to invite you to lunch with the doctor. Maggie looks concerned and looks at Max and asks if he's going to be there. Keller says, without Max getting a chance to respond, Keller says, she'd be delighted to go. Keller walks Max out of the quarters. Maggie gets upset with Keller's. Maggie says, I don't like my decisions being made for me. And Keller says, relax. All we want to do is draw the doctor out, find out what he wants. Maggie asks Mendez if he's going, al- if he's going along with this. And Mendez says, let's just see what these guys are up to. Maggie just wants to get out of there, by the way. Yeah, and my note here is like, man, Maggie just has no agency over her life. But yet, she doesn't feel... Like a damsel in distress, she feels strong, but it just, it's, she's in a situation, it feels like she's in a situation where, well, I kind of also take what their, their rap sheet is, she, she's more of a corporate espionage person, which you don't, like, I don't think she's like the strong arm, you know, type of thing, whereas she knows, you know what I mean, like, even though she doesn't feel weak, she still has no agency over her life, it feels like. And and it just feels like it's that way because of, of the situation that she kind of got herself in. Well, here here's my world building. These three convicts are on a ship going to a prison. And the two other two guys are planning an escape. And they, they basically say, are you, are you in with us or not? And she agrees because the prison planet is like the one with uh, Christopher Lambert Fortress. Where yeah. there's like no way out, basically. And you mentioned world building, man. That what what this movie, you know, sometimes lacks in budget. It never lacks in world building. Like no. it, it masterfully does world building. Well, I like what Keller says here because he goes, you know, because she's upset. She's like, I'm gonna have to go to lunch with this guy. And Keller says, that's exactly what you're gonna do. Mendez and I are gonna get the ship ready, and you're gonna go to lunch with the doctor. And maybe we can leave with a little more than we had when we came in here. Yeah. He's yeah. Keller's looking at her. She she's a piece of the puzzle. She's a part of the team. We're all working sort of together to do these nefarious deeds. And you have a role to play. And this is your role. Right. Cut to the doctor in his lab working on the patient underneath the sheet. Um, her kind of the patient's head is exposed, the bald head, and he's using a device to basically track, uh, monitor the brain waves. It's like a little poking device. Pulls back the sheet a little bit more revealing a bandaged face with one eyeball exposed. He's looking for responses by shining a flashlight in the patient's eye. That's important, by the way, a flashlight. Remember yeah, that. The flashlight's important, but what I 
noted was they must have dilated her pupils because they don't move when he flashes the light in her eye. Like, I don't know how they do that. Like, it's not a fake eye. It's her eye. But it I don't know, dude. It doesn't move. It doesn't dilate. It just stays open. There's a couple special effect scenes in this movie where I'm like, how the hell did they pull that off? Because it looks really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, like the beheading at the end. I'm like, wow, how, how did they do that? Yeah. Especially when it's like still talking and everything. Yes. Yeah. The, the effects are fucking remarkably good for such a low budget film. Yes. And we don't have the budget on it, by the way, guys. But no, there's can, not much. I mean, knowing info. that it's Roger Corman, executive producer, you can also sort of tell by the sets and, you know, all the, the pieces are there to tell you that it's a low budget movie. But then you're surprised when they're able to actually achieve some amazing cinematic stuff on a shoestring budget. Well, I think if you saw this movie in 1982, you might not be impressed by it. But by today's standards, knowing what. <laughs> it just shows you the sad state of affairs with cinema nowadays that the quality is just not what it used to be like with the content. We we watch this now and we're like, wow, it's a really impressive. Back then they're like, eh, it's okay. But yeah. now we say it's really impressive for what with what they did. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, by the way, this is Cassandra one that he's working on and the doctor goes over to his audio journal and logs in and says an unexpected coincidence has given me new hope. It appears now that the Cassandra activation is at hand. Everything is prepared. He continues to talk as Max comes into the lab. He does not see Max come into the lab. This is important. The doctor continues and says, Concerning Max, he's starting to exhibit signs of Munich syndrome, insubordination, obstinacy, unpredictability. Max shakes his head like, No, that's not me. But he doesn't say anything. Doctor still doesn't know he's there. Doctor continues. He says, Cassandra's superior programming makes all four series obsolete once Cassandra 1 is operational. Once Cassandra 1 is operational, I shall terminate Max. Concerning my last discussion with Terracor, I'm facing total shutdown. Max backs away slowly and leaves the lab without the doctor knowing he was there. How did the doctor not hear the door? you know do its open thing you know knowing that yeah come on and this yeah. is and this this is a little bit of a this is an interesting cut moment because you cut to max in the greenhouse bringing food setting up for the lunch and then it's a quick cut back to the lab of the doctor with something that they they reuse the shot again later on in the movie it's like a yeah. random machine that is working yeah and then, I, I didn't understand this at all no and then you and then you cut back to max leaving the lab yeah so it's like a weird editing moment it doesn't flow and what is it supposed to represent like like sort of a a, a foreshadowing or something i don't know it was weird both times i watched it and i knew it was coming the second time and i was like i don't know what the filmmakers are trying to tell us with this like three second insert. So here's my wondering or thinking that they should have shown the scene where Max is setting up the lunch prior to him coming into the lab. Right. Because he goes back to the greenhouse to change some of the, yeah, to fuck it up. Okay. Okay. So that was, that was showing him prior. And now he's like thinking about, he's like, Oh, well, fuck this guy. I'm going to go and, and fuck with it now. Yeah, I think okay. it's supposed to be a flashback, but it's not very obvious. It's yeah. just a, so it's a weird visually, everyone listening, it's a weird visual moment where you're like, 
wait, where, what's going on here? Because it, now you cut back to Max going back into the greenhouse. Yeah. With uh, the 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 lunch set up for Maggie and the doctor. Yeah, and in an otherwise pretty tight movie, like I don't have too many questions. Although there will be one big one later that I actually had to watch the director commentary to get information yeah. on. But for the most part, it doesn't have like wonky editing. This movie is is really it's well paced it's it's it knows what it's doing and everything so the fact that like the fact that the movie's so competent otherwise tells me that you know this isn't a mistake they the filmmakers are telling us something here it just i just didn't think it was a great job of it it's not yeah it's not very obvious the only obvious uh mistake that happens in this movie in the beginning is the boom mic that pops down out of nowhere when, oh no! Uh, I didn't see it. Where was that? It's it's when um, the the three convicts arrive at the station and meet Max for the first time. Oh God! Okay, I'll have to yeah. rewatch next time I watch it again because I will watch this movie again. This I know you will. Fucking awesome! And uh, I I don't I just got I think we both randomly got copies from Amazon that were available. I got a Anchor Bay edition, so I think you did too. I think so. Yeah. 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 Oh, I thought I had it on me. Oh. Um. Yeah, yeah, no, my I, yeah, mine's uh, Anchor Bay as well. Um, it, it only has like the trailer or whatever. Like, it doesn't have much special features. But the quality, it looks great. It, quality's great, but it does have director's commentary. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, totally awesome. So Max is back in the greenhouse, and he's about to throw one of the trays of food into the bushes, but then he looks at the orchids. He smiles and looks at the table for lunch. Do you remember the orchids? The doctor was getting pissed off that he. Don't touch my orchids. Cut back to the doctor who's underneath the sheet of Cassandra one inspecting her uh, vaginal area because her <laughs> legs are up in the air. Yep. He wraps up what he's doing, calls Max, shouts to Max. Max does not respond. Cut to Max in the control room where he was playing video games earlier. And he's playing video games, listening to more of his like 60s soul music. He asks where Max is. Max looks annoyed. And he finally responds and says, yes, Dr. Daniel. Doctor says, your order is to report to me. Max says, yes, sir. I forgot. Must be my faulty memory. Like, it's something literally what the doctor was saying into his, you know, notes or whatever. And and Max said, he's acting like a petulant child right here. Right. The doctor asks about the invitation. Max says, it's all been arranged. It's all prepared, waiting for you. Doctor says, why didn't you tell me? Max says, Maybe you made a miscalculation in my memory circuits, sir. And the doctor says, I don't like your tone, Max. Max is annoyed, ignoring the doctor and making explosion sounds for his video games. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor looks at his watch and continues to button his blue shirt. Cut to Keller and Mendez repairing their ship. Cut to Maggie walking down the hallway to lunch. She goes into the greenhouse and sees the doctor, who looks very excited to see her. He puts his arm around her. He says, I was afraid you have not been told. To come, Maggie says, I've been told all right. He brings her to the greenhouse, into the greenhouse. She thinks it's amazing. He says, it's my refuge from my daily routine. Maggie says, what kind of research are you doing here? And they sit down to eat lunch. The doctor doesn't respond. He looks at the table and he sees that the orchids, <laughs> his prized orchids that were uh, right, you know, perfectly in bloom have now been cut and are used as flowers on the table. This whole scene is one of my favorite scenes in the entire it's movie. It's hilarious. And it's all because of Klaus Kinski's reactions to all <laughs> the things that are happening. Yeah, it's really, really funny. The doctor looks pissed, and Maggie says, 
you know, she's Maggie says, what's wrong? The doctor says, my orchids. Maggie says, oh, they're lovely. Maggie asks the doctor what he's doing there. And he goes, I'm an inventor of toys that work in both senses. (laughs) And he goes to pour wine into Maggie's glass and ball bearings fall out of the bottle into the glass. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like shocked. He's like, what? (laughs) Maggie, uh, he looks annoyed. And Maggie says, must have been a good year. (laughs) Cut to Max listening to James Brown's It's a Man's World. It's a man's world. Great, this is a great, great scene. Watching Maggie and the doctor have lunch on the monitor. Doctor opens up a tray that has food on it, and he's pleasantly surprised. Yeah, because he kind of reaches for it because he's, he's expecting the unexpected. And he right. opens Oh, he even goes oh. like, oh, okay. It's, oh, this is good. Okay, here you go. <laughs> I love that. Klaus Kinski does actually a really good job of having of injecting humor into this. His movements are similar to that Aguirre Wrath of God where he's very like methodical with his pacing. He's methodical with his every single movement that he does is intense intentional which is what i love about him he's still a nut job but um maggie starts eating then she asks if she can have some water she eats a rice cake (laughs) she eats a rice cake and he holds up the water uh bucket which is clear and he kind of looks at it suspiciously and he pours it meanwhile it's like a quarter full well i think he's looking at it because it's like a quarter full and he's like what the fuck but (laughs) i gotta admit bro i would kill to have that water pitcher, man, that thing is awesome. Looking, I want that. So he, he, the wine glass is like a silver wine glass. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, or wine bottle. I also, so this is important to point out because Maggie asks if he, if he's going to have any food and he goes, Oh no, no, please eat. Mm. He's not eating. I didn't pick up on eat. that. Even on my second, knowing what I know about him, maybe, or maybe not being an Android. I actually didn't pick up on that. Uh, even the second time. Yeah, because I'm too enamored by his reaction to the quarter full water when the rest of the picture is just, you know, it's empty. And he's like, hey, why? You're, you're not breaking this down. I am. I'm the one who has to pick up on all this shit. Yeah, true. So cut back to Max watching on the monitor, listening to the song. And he pushes a program on a TV monitor and he starts watching Fritz Lang's Metropolis. It's very it's perfect because he fast forwards to the scene in the movie of Metropolis where the evil doctor has, who looks a lot like Dr. Daniel activates the woman robot in the movie and sucks the life out of the human robot, giving life to the woman robot. So obviously the, 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 sorry, sucks the human life of the woman on the table, giving life to the robot and turning her into a female. And so I think as far as the language of this movie goes, Android goes, we're we are supposed to now lead to believe that that if if Klauskins if Daniels Doctor Daniels gets what he wants with with Maggie it's going to kill her to to inject her sort of soul into Cassandra one and also two I think they did a good job of even though Cassandra one kind of has that that blonde hair I think face wise. She kind of looks like the actress from Metropolis and everything, like with the thin eyebrows and kind of the, the small lips and everything. I think right. I think that's intentional. But more than anything, I think we're supposed to take away the fact that if Dr. Daniels gets what he wants, it's going to kill Maggie to make Cassandra 1 come to life. Spoiler. So <laughs> cut to Maggie and the doctor. And Maggie says, what did you call it? And the doctor says, an android. She goes, yeah, so... It's like a robot, right? 
and you want to hook me up to this robot and stimulate me? And the doctor Sexually? says, yes, stimulate. And she goes, Stim- stimulate sex, right? Maggie says, that's the weirdest line for getting in my pants that I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of them. This lunch, this lunch is good, but it wasn't that good. It's not she, that good. She, gets to, she goes to get up, and that's when the doctor grabs her violently by the arm. And she tells him to take it easy. And the doctor says, you don't understand the importance of what I'm trying to do here. Maggie says, I'll tell you what. I'll think about it, and I'll come back tonight. She starts to walk out of the greenhouse as the doctor grabs her again. Suddenly, a signal comes in to Max's telecommunication device. Max answers the call. He sees a ship on a signal, uh, like on their radar signal, right, coming towards them. It's the police that are now looking for Maggie, Keller, and Mendez. They report to Max that they've picked up the signal of three known fugitives in the lab. Max says, negative. The pilot says, affirmative. He sends, in, he sends in a video transmission file of all three fugitives that they're looking for. And the video message that pops up is of Keller, Mendez, and Maggie. And there's a narrator telling all of the horrible things that they've done. Terrorism. Explosive conspiracy to commit explosives. Conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, suspected anti-corporate terrorism of terrorist affiliation. Armed robbery. So that was for Keller. Then for Mendez, it's armed robbery, narcotics, murder. And then for Maggie, it's industrial espionage. Yeah, because so so Keller Keller's kind of like the the I, I feel like he's he's a corporate terrorist. I feel like he has not morals, but like he, he's trying to accomplish something. Um, Mendez is the hired gun if if they all even work together beforehand but mendez is the fucking just goon he's an absolute goon and then i think maggie's kind of maybe just just caught up in the wrong type of sort of crowd and everything because she's she's all about corporate espionage and whatnot so you can tell that that two two of the three are not as violent as the one yeah i again i think they're all on their way to jail and she just happened to be caught up with them yeah, That's I don't think guess. they were a crew, like, beforehand or anything. Right, right. But maybe, I mean, maybe, but I I don't know. No, you know what? Well, I take it back. I don't think they are. I don't think they were because I think I don't think Maggie would have been with Mendez then. I think she's with Mendez because it's a prison scenario and I need somebody to protect me, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and the pilot of this ship says they're all suspected of murder of terraform officers. Yeah. Max is like, no, negative, negative. No individuals... Uh, fit those descriptions are uh, on our on our ship and the pilot says we're monitoring your status and we have a confirmation that they are inside the station max says negative signal error the pilot says we're coming in give us yeah. docking coordinates yeah it's like no <laughs> fuck you guy <laughs> max gets upset and sees the ship on the radar getting closer cut to the actual ship flying it's cool looking yeah, I like the design of the transport ships or the I, the police ships whatever you want to call them I yeah. and it's like there's only there's only one kind of ship that you see. They're all sort of the same, but I think it's a cool design. Right. Yeah, totally. Max looks at all the monitors, the security monitors in the station, trying to find Maggie. The pilot asks what the delay is for his coordinates to land. Max tells him to hold on. Max is starting to freak out and then sees one of his uh, control panels that says station defense monitor. He pulls up the system and there's a separate radar on that one, basically for their ship to defend itself right yeah 
Yeah, they've got defense, you know, yeah, on the, on the lab. He gives coordinates to the ship that's flying in, and they're getting closer to the middle of the radar of the defense system. Suddenly, he sounds the alarm in the ship, which causes Keller and Mendez to get out of the area that they're trying to fix, and they go to, like, the front of their ship. Yeah, so he's, uh, um, Max sets off the docking bay alarm, and then, yeah, Mendez and, and Keller were, like, trying to, I think trying to maybe, uh, no, they don't know about the, um, the, the transponder right now. Uh, they find out about that later. Uh, but, yeah, they're just yeah. trying to repair it so they can, you know, leave or do something. But Max alerts them, which is nice. He alerts them, yeah, and they're, they're starting to sort of freak out. Suddenly, the doctor comes into the control room. He didn't hear the alarm go off. He's like walks in very slowly. I, I take it that that alarm because it, he does say like um, uh, docking bay alarm. I, I take it that it's so far away that, you know, the doctor doesn't even know he can't hear it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And he goes into Max's work area, but Max is not there. He's actually hiding behind one of the control panels. Yeah, one of those. And they're really cool, like these pillars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you notice that when he looks, he's like, these video games are, are rotting his brain. Like, they make video game commentary on this. <laughs> I love it. Back in 1982. Yeah. If they only knew. <laughs> Cut to Keller and Mendez finding a monitor in their ship and seeing that the ship is starting to dock in the station. Cut back to the doctor. And that's when the doctor says, yeah, these video games are driving him crazy. <laughs> and he turns around and walks away. <laughs> Meanwhile, the ship looking for the fugitives is starting to dock. Maggie runs into the observation deck where uh, Max was when he saw their ship coming in. Cut back to Max watching the doctor leave the control room. Cut back to Maggie, Keller, and Mendez meeting each other in the control room, like the observation room. Mendez tries to get his guns from the locker that Max put them in, but it's locked and he gets upset. Because that's the only thing he knows how to do is get upset. Right. Cut back to the control room after the doctor leaves. Max goes back to the monitor, activates the laser for the defense system that tracks the ship that's docking. He gets him on the scanner, and he blasts the ship, and it explodes. He's now killed a ship of police officers. Yeah. The the explosion causes a white blindness that Maggie and Keller see. Cut back to Max, making the explosion sound, and smiling. I like that, because that was kind of like a... Yeah, like, like like a direct correlation between him playing the video games. Honestly, I think it is kind of commentary on video games because he's like how easily he did it and how like sort of disconnected he oh, is yeah. from from the the actual you know effect of people actually dying. But he's like disconnected from that. Although he is a robot, so it's it's whatever. But um, I like this. I think it's awesome. I I do wish the ship sort of more exploded. It kind of just gets vaporized you know um i get it they they probably only have one of these ship models they couldn't blow it up but yeah it's it's minor it's nothing you know but i just wish it was more of like an actual explosion with pieces and stuff yeah and 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 the the scene where the ship is on the radar versus coming into the ship it it doesn't match up it's at a different distance and everything yeah, yeah. this is like what yeah one of the few times where eh, you know it's not it's it's not perfect It's not perfect, but, you know, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. Mendez realizes the ship's been blown up, and he's all excited. And Keller's like, don't get carried away. We're not out of this yet. Yeah, the voice of reason. Right? Max turns off the alarm at the same time, and he sees on the monitor that all three fugitives are running throughout the station, and they run back to their quarters. Keller sits down, 
in the living room of the quarters. Maggie asks what he's doing. Mendez says, we got to get our lasers back. And Keller says, we're not going anywhere. Mendez tells Maggie to get her stuff. Maggie says to Keller, we got to go. Mendez says, you want to stay? Fine with me. Keller says, he goes, you remind me of the Red Queen. And then Mendez smacks Keller before he gets a chance to say anything more. And I don't know what that reference is, the Red Queen. I don't know. I, I, I basically, Alice I in Wonderland? Was she the know. Red Queen? I don't know. I think it's just what, like, he basically, Keller was so chill about everything, and Mendez wasn't, and I think just Mendez got annoyed with him, and they've always been at each other since the beginning of this movie, right? Yeah. It's yeah. only going to get worse, too. Yeah. Maggie comes in and says to Mendez, I'm getting sick of you pushing us around. Maggie checks on Keller. Mendez yells at both of them. He says, we're leaving. He goes, on what? The ship isn't ready. Use your brain. Suddenly, Max walks in. And Max says, I thought you should know. That ship, that was a police ship. It was alone. I made a thorough check on the sector. You have nothing to worry about. He starts to walk off. And Mendez says, wait a minute. You blew up that ship? Max goes, yes, yes, I did. (laughs) And he goes, oh, and I almost forgot. There's an emergency signal box planted on your ship. That's how they found you. (laughs) Mendez looks back at Keller. Max says, I think you should dismantle it right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. Max walks off and Keller says, Mendez, we better turn off that signal device. Maggie looks concerned. Cut to Mendez and Keller walking down the hallway, probably to the ship, right? Yeah, I think so. And Mendez says, what's going on here? Keller says, he just killed them without batting an eye. Keller smiles and says, I think on Earth, Max could be worth something. Yeah, because he he knows he's an android, and I guess androids at this point are outlawed on Earth. So if you actually have an android that's working, you can probably uh, uh, fence that for some good money. Right. Cut to the doctor working on Cassandra, who now has her whole face exposed, revealing the blonde woman that we will later see. Cut to Max watching an old movie. It looks like It's a Wonderful Life. It's like um, Jimmy Stewart and it's not Doris Day, but it's, you know, the the woman that he did a bunch of movies. I think it is It's a Wonderful Life, actually. I, it might be. I, I've only seen that movie like once or twice. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Stars. Oh, what what's going on with that dress you got there? I'm, I'm Jimmy Stars. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't you... Why don't you take off your robe and show me what's doing under there? Yours, if yours you, is much better than mine. <laughs> well, okay. oh, hey, well, well, is that a whip you've got in your hand once you use it like you're supposed to? Huh? <laughs> you lost it. <laughs> I did. Sorry. I tried. I tried. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it while it was while it was there. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Hold on, because it's gonna bug me. Because people are like, you don't know that man. I don't. Uh, I'm not a big Donna Reed. Life. I believe. Donna I think it's, Reed. It's Donna Reed. Donna I believe it's, Reed. I believe it is. It's a wonderful. Well, of course, it's it's a wonderful life. You know, you got uh, kids there, and you've got a little bell with a little child saying the angel gets his wings if he gets smacked in the hiney. <laughs> That's not what happens, Jimmy. Did someone see hiney? Oh no. <laughs> oh my God! It's gone. We've gone off the rails. But what's you going did, on here? You, you did get your Jimmy Stewart back though, and I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I do, do, do my best. In fact, if you want more Jimmy Stewart, sign up to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. <laughs> You're losing it. You're losing it. Again. I'll get it back. I'll get it back. You, hey, 
Listeners, if you sign up to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark, I will get my Jimmy Stewart back and I will do a Jimmy Stewart impression for you. There you go. Anyways, you're here, folks. Max sees that Jim, he, he's watching this movie in his quarters and he sees that Jimmy Stewart has a hat on like a fedora. Max reaches into a storage box and pulls out a fedora hat. He takes a picture of Humphrey Bogart off his wall and looks at it and puts the fedora hat on and he's stuttering, studying Bogart, his mannerisms and movements. And you can tell that uh, Don uh, Don Oper, like he, he, I think he's, what did you say, his background is like dance or, or something or, or clown or my, talk about a guy that just like Klaus Kinski probably has complete awareness of his entire body. Like you can just tell by his movements, like he knows exactly what he's doing and everything. And all of his like quirkiness that he has with this character, uh, Max and everything, it's all on purpose. He's acting a specific way and it's, and it's all going to pay off when that switch gets flipped to like killer mode later. And he acts completely different. And I'm just like, that's when I'm like, Holy fuck. This guy's amazing. Yeah, totally. Maggie shows up at Max's quarters, but Max doesn't know she's there. Max puts on some kind of like 1940s music on this really cool music machine. It's supposed yeah. to be a music machine, but it's really it, it's this cool little prop. And he's adjusting his fedora hat, trying to look cool. And Max, Maggie's splooshing all over her panties. And yeah, she's watching him. <laughs> well, uh, what's doing under that dress there? <laughs> Maggie, says, I got it back, see? You did, you did. It comes and goes, but I love it. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it. Maggie uh, sees him and smiles, and Max sees that Maggie's watching her, and he gets startled by her. She walks closer to him. She's watching him like through a glass uh, window, and she walks over to his room that says maintenance on it, but it's been scribbled out and has the word Max written on it, and it's yes. in, a, in a sharpie. I I noted that as well. Yes, I I, I love that because it is like it is like a maintenance room. It doesn't have like it doesn't have any warmth to it. Everything is like metal and stuff. But he's made it his home, and he's, uh, a, he's it's a robot. Cute. Yeah. He's a robot. He's a robot. Yeah. Maggie comes in and she compliments his hat. And he invites Maggie to sit down. Maggie says, this thing with the police ship, you know, they were after us. And she goes, I don't get it, Max. Why'd you do it? And then Max suddenly looks at her and goes, have you been to Chicago? Maggie interrupts him and says, Max, why'd you blow up that ship? And Max says, Maggie, you're going to Earth, aren't you? And she says, well, yeah, if we're lucky. But and then Max says, I want to go there. And Maggie says, oh, you thought you'd ride with us. And Max asks if he can. It would mean a lot to him. And Maggie says, you don't want to come with us. Take a shuttle. Max says, there's not going to be any shuttle for me. See, I'm being replaced by the project the doctor's working on. Maggie says, being replaced? That robot, Max? That that android? You mean he was telling me the truth? And Max says, yes. An android is a robot that possesses all the physical characteristics of a human being, down to the small detail. And then Maggie gets excited, and she asks if she, if she can see it. It would mean a lot to me, Max. But Max seems hesitant. Maggie says, tonight, when everyone else is asleep, it'll be our secret. It's a date. And Max goes, date? Maggie says, you're a doll. She kisses him on the cheek and says, midnight. She walks out. Max says, date? Again. (laughs) Cut to Max going into his control room, sits down at the computer monitor and pulls up basically his dictionary on the computer, looks up the word date. The first word that comes up, the first definition that comes up is of the fruit. And the second <laughs> yeah. one is a social engagement with a member of the opposite sex. 
says that it's a date and it fades out. I'm like, oh, that's the 80s. Opposite sex. Nowadays, it's just two people going out. Exactly. Um, and, and again, like the exchange prior and there will be a little bit more of an exchange later. But like he never lies to her. He just kind of it sort of lies by omission. But when you when you know what you know, you know, he's an android. Everything he's saying is truthful to her. He's like, I'm going to be replaced by this other android. She just thinks he's going to be fired. But he's not saying that. he's literally saying replaced like th- there is a very definitive reason for saying that word replaced but she's not picking up on that well and and he never answers her questions too when she's like why'd you do it he doesn't answer her he's like i want to go to chicago and if you really think about it if she's got a shred of decency she'd be like you just blew up a ship you're not that like what kind of person are you that just does that right are you a monster too like just (laughs) like just like fucking mendez right Speaking of Mendez, cut to <laughs> later in the evening. Maggie's in bed with Mendez. He's asleep. She quietly sneaks out. Max waits for her, and he's adjusting his hair. As she sneaks up behind him in the corridor hallway, he leads her to the lab, and they're holding hands. He walks her over to Cassandra, and she's covered up by a sheet. He pulls the sheet back to reveal the fully dressed woman that the doctor's been working on. You say fully dressed. She has like a... Well, she's got a negligee on. A negligee, very much, I would say, akin to uh, Logan's run. Uh, what's her name uh, from American uh, Werewolf in London? She was also in that auger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she, like what she wears, like it's like a, like just, it's it's very revealing. It's, it's she is, if anything, she is not fully clothed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's. Yeah, it's a sheet cut up to look like a dress, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it's see-through later, too. Yes. At this point, the doctor is outside of the lab looking through a window, jerking off. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> and she and he's watching them. Maggie asks if she can touch Cassandra. Max tells Maggie that Cassandra's al- as alive as you are, or I am. And suddenly, he gets annoyed and says, of course, she'll function with the degree of elegance and sophistication far beyond what I can do with my capabilities. And again, Maggie doesn't pick up on that. No, she doesn't. She looks concerned and says, how long have you been up here, Max? Max says, five years. He starts to give her the whole timeline, and she says, you need a change. He says, yes, I want to go <laughs> no with shit, you. shit, bitch. I know. <laughs> yeah. Maggie says, you don't want to hook up with us, Max, because we might not even make it back to Earth. Maggie says, I like you. I don't want you caught up in the same mess that I'm in with Mendez and Keller. They'd eat you alive. Max says, this is my only chance. I'll be phased out as soon as Cassandra's on her feet. The doctor will probably turn me into a sprinkler head for the greenhouse, which is funny. Maggie says, you've been up here too long. And she leans in and she kisses Max on the lips. He kind of does it awkwardly. And then she tells him to open his mouth a little. And she gives him a very passionate kiss. And she said, it's much better when you help. And they start making out. Meanwhile... Max's hands are down at his side, and one of his hands is about an inch from the Cassandra doll. Doll. The Cassandra (laughs) android. You're not wrong. (laughs) I'm not. And when Maggie kisses Max, a little spark electrical signal goes from Max's hand to Cassandra's hand on the table. That's cool. I, I like that. And it's another sort of moment where if you blink, you'll miss it. And and there's also like no explanation, but I feel like it kind of 
it lives in the same world that he has that telekinesis power where he can pull the tray forward. It's all a part of that. There's something happening, and you know, I don't need an explanation. It's it's you know, it's it's cool. It's it's a this movie's also has a little bit of a fairy tale fantasy quality yeah. to it, even though yeah. it's sci-fi. That's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> Mind bullets. <laughs> Wonder boy. boy. What is the secret of your power? Meanwhile, Bodie knows every lyric to that song, and he goes, but there's a swear at the end. <laughs> and Kristen says, what's the swear? She goes, what's it start with? He goes, F. <laughs> Anyways. Wonder Boy is my favorite Tenacious D song, and I, I, as far as earworms go, I can't hear the word telekinesis without at least saying in my own mind, that's telekinesis, Kyle. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> if you sign up to Patreon, we can get Bodie to sing it, too. Um, you, can, you can watch us attempt to do telekinesis on her. <laughs> right. After a little spark, Max walks away from Maggie and says, can I go with you or not? And Maggie says, yes, you can. She likes the way he kisses. She's like, yeah, yeah, she does. She goes, but you're letting yourself in for a lot of trouble. Max gets excited and they start making out again. It's kind of gross, though. It is <laughs> gross. It's a make out's kind of gross. Suddenly, Cassandra comes to life. Her hand starts moving. After they're kissing, Maggie says, you know, well done, Max. And then Max goes, well, I've been doing a lot of research. <laughs> and she starts to undo. He starts to undo her jumpsuit. Yeah. He gets get down on the ground. <laughs> More PG boobs. Wow. Uh, Maggie jumps on top of him and they start making out. Yeah. She like rides him while they're making out. Yep. They're kissing passionately. And Cassandra suddenly gets to her feet and is off the operating table, moving towards them. And it's such a, this is one of my favorite shots in the movie because it's, there's no sound. She's like silently moving towards them. It's, the movie never goes into like horror territory, but this is probably one of the I think one of the creepiest shots because she's also kind of like walking in shadows towards them. I I felt the fear that Maggie has when she eventually you know turns around and sees her. Yeah, it's totally understandable. As she comes towards them, the doctor continues to watch from outside the lab, jerking off. Just kidding. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and Maggie gets up in horror and sh- and she tells Max to turn off Cassandra. Cassandra approaches Maggie and whispers, like leans into her and says, wrong me not, good sister, nor wrong yourself. Apparently that's from uh, Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of, I thought she whispered something to her, but I think she just kind of hugs her and kind of like not shuts down, but pauses essentially. Yeah. She's not fully charged yet. Yeah. That's the way I look at. That's the way I kind of build it in my mind. But I also like how Cassandra One's voice is kind of like robotic and everything at this point. Again, it's right. it's probably the the closest the movie gets to sort of horror. Even with what Max does in a little bit, I think this is probably the quote unquote scariest part of the movie. Right. Max takes Cassandra back to the operating table and tells Maggie not to be afraid. There's been some sort of power surge. Maggie looks on in horror and says, "You're both androids." She just real at that point I'm like you just realized Max was an android now the doctor who's been watching and jerking off walks away before he's spotted and Maggie leaves the lab and runs off and I liked Maggie's reaction like I I I bought that it kind of all clicked for her yeah I know it's I have a lot of notes here saying really Maggie really you, you didn't see this coming but you know okay going with the movie 
this is this is when she's has that realization and i think the actress i think she does a great job of like sort of portraying that that horror that like i, I was just making out with the toaster like holy shit like you know I was making out with the brave little toaster. <laughs> yeah, and so, and, and this is a very interesting moment because the doctor is watching her run off, right? And he's hiding in the hallway. And then you cut to Max saying to Cassandra, well, anyway, she said I could go. <laughs> Cassandra yeah. just looks on the table lifeless. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. the show cut to maggie in her quarters walking towards a room she's stopped by mendez who said you had me worried maggie says i couldn't sleep i went for a walk and mendez says wow how exercise brings your color up maggie says get out of my way keller overhears them arguing comes out to see what's going on as mendez says who was it the doctor maggie tells mendez to leave her alone keller interrupts Mendez turns around and says, don't. And he kind of like pushes Keller back, but also pushes Maggie down. But yeah. he strikes like this dance pose when he does it. <laughs> he does. But then Keller grabs Mendez, but then Mendez elbows Keller and knocks him out. Well, and okay, so Mendez, like, I'm sorry, uh, Keller for comes a Vulcan, up behind. Yeah. It, it, well, I, I took it like, like he was actually trying to break his neck. Like he didn't try yes. to like punch Mendez, like, he literally comes up behind Mendez and, like, puts his hands around his head, which you think he's going to, like, like, I think he's 
like he's like fuck it i'm gonna kill you right now but mendez is always stronger than keller and yeah he does a couple blows to the gut and and takes him down yeah and he knocks out keller and then he mendez brings maggie in the room and she's like you know let me go and he goes there's plenty to go around and he basically starts to rape her and she calls out for keller and the scene fades with keller looking like out cold yeah, he's he's knocked out and so there's like a there's going to be a little bit of a time lapse essentially. Right. Cut to Max and his fedora hat and he's packing up his suitcase to go on a trip. He grabs extra eyeballs, shirt, sunglasses, <laughs> extra fingers, fingers <laughs> extra hand, his little robot models and the essentials. Yeah, and then he looks at a picture of Earth. Cut back to Keller getting up. He leaves his quarters asking for Mendez. And he goes into Mendez and Maggie's quarters and sees Maggie on her bed. Her face is turned away from the door. He shakes her lifeless body, revealing that she's dead. That was a shocker. Yeah, this is shocking and sad. Yeah. Like, I was like, I mean, and he, you, don't even, you don't even see her die on camera, which weirdly makes it a, a bit darker that you don't, like, sort of know how she died. Exactly. So you assume, like, rightfully so, at this point, we're all assuming it's Mendez. Right. So Max arrives in their quarters with a big smile on his face and his suitcase and his fedora hat. He sees Keller and asks where Maggie is. And Keller just says, have you seen Mendez? Max starts to talk to Keller, but he, he leaves. He goes to Maggie's quarters to look for her. He walks in and realizes that she's dead. He walks out heartbroken. It's a great shot because you don't actually see him look at her. He just—it's a shot of him. It's a—it's a the, the camera stays in one place. He walks into, uh, down the hallway into the to look into the quarters like the the doorway and then turns turns around and walks back. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you called that out. I was going to as well. I have that in my notes. I like this shot. I like this scene. I I like not. We didn't have to see it again. We, you know, although we will no. see her body again, but you know, we don't need to see it again. We know what he's seen and we know what he's feeling. And and Don Oper does a great job, uh, you know, portraying it in in these like minimal ways. Right. He sits down on the suitcase. He sits down in the lounge area with his suitcase and his fedora hat, looking very forlorn. Cut to Cassandra on the table with the doctor putting his hand on her lips and smiling. And she's kind of kissing it. So I think she's like, she has life, but you know, she's still like, I think she's still like coming into her own essentially, but she's not just lifeless now. Right. Cut back to Max leaving the suitcase on the ground, but he still has his fedora hat on and he walks out. Cut to Mendez in Max's, uh, like the, the, the machine shop area where the, all the parts are working on something. When Keller walks in on him, Mendez is acting like nothing's wrong. Because there is nothing wrong. Well, he still raped her, but, you know. Well, yeah, and, and but, I mean, at this point, I still assumed that, I thought 100% that he killed her. And I'm like, and my notes here, my notes are, man, Mendez is such a sociopath. Like, he's not right. even, like, affected by the fact that he killed her. And, man, like, the realization that it, it's not going to be him that did it, like, it makes you re sort of re-see everything, you know, in a new light. Yeah, I mean, he's still a piece of shit, but he yes. didn't kill her. Yeah, he's yeah. about to kill somebody else. So, uh, yeah, he acts like nothing's wrong. He goes, look what I found. And he's like showing uh, Keller one of the parts that he has. He says, it says operations and fabrications. We don't need that damn robot. We can build one of our own. Meanwhile, Keller picks up a robotic hand off a shelf. 
Mendez turns around and Keller hits Mendez with the hand and they start battling each other. Mendez beats the crap out of Keller. He hits Keller so hard in the head with a wrench that he cracks his skull open and Keller is dead. Mendez picks up some sort of weird blood plasma pack and leaves. Yeah, dude, that was that was wild, man. Like, like I was like, oh, shit, is he dead? And, you know, the second time viewing it, you could really see the 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 indentation in his forehead it's a cool fx shot it's a cool fx shot it's really deep and it looks pretty real yeah yep cut to mendez back in his quarters now packing up his stuff cut to max who's in the control room and he pulls up a video monitor watching mendez mendez sees the suitcase on the ground belonging to max and he opens it up mendez sees the eyeballs (laughs) that max had in a little bag Max is watching on the monitor as the doctor comes behind Max. The the doctor locks the quarters that Mendez is in. Mendez is now trapped inside his quarters. When Mendez realizes that he's locked in, he starts shouting to be let out, and he calls out for Maggie. Yeah, and that's when I wrote down. Wait, I thought Mag. I thought he he knows Maggie's dead because he killed her. So I thought that that was a gaff. Like I was like, is this like a gaff? I wrote I wrote that down. I was like, oh, why is he calling out for Maggie? And yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, well, I'll, I'll explain. We'll sort of explain it all when it when it kind of comes to a head. But at this point, like even on my second viewing, and I'm I'm taking notes on my second viewing, I still haven't cued in onto the the reality of what of the what the real answer is. Yeah, because it's not a gaff. You're gonna find out exactly that this movie is actually better than than you think it is right cut back to the doctor and max doctor says we've seen quite enough he turns off the monitor and tells max to come with him into the lab mendez shouts out what's going on here cut back to max and the doctor in his lab cassandra is now upright against the wall the doctor comments that cassandra is now fully operational which causes max to look very sad doctor has max sit down at a chair the doctor comments on how Max outdid himself last night. What do you call it? Sexual energy? <laughs> uh, and, and, and then he, so he says sexual energy, organ radiation. And I cued in on that because that's a, that's an occult thing. Uh, or, organ energy and everything is something that like the Nazis were sort of looking into and everything. But oh, it basically, uh, it basically comes from, um, orgasm the term organ comes from orgasm and it's about the sexual energy and that's that's you know sexual energy is used in magical rituals and all this kind of stuff um you know like ceremonial magic like a lot of aleister crowley stuff so i i might my ears perked up when i heard that when he was like is it organ radiation i was like ah that's okay interesting okay interesting so yeah guys and gals dive into that man that's that's some that's some occult shit right there yeah yeah and well Wow. Yeah, right. wow. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Well, I mean, that would get uh, me to that would get me to pop my. Well, 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 well. I'm wondering if you if you take a dollar bill and you <laughs> micturate upon it, uh, bring up a ghost or something. <laughs> Anyways, I love. I actually love your Jimmy Stewart. I'm trying. Trying. At this no, point, great. <laughs> I'll workshop it. At this point, the doctor pull, uh, has. You know, Max is sitting down. He pulls Max's hair off his head, revealing that it's just a toupee. Yeah. And revealing Max's bald head. And honestly, man, Don Keith Ober looks so much better with his shaved head versus that fake, you know, toupee and or the fake wig or whatever. But 
it all makes sense. And, and I knew it was coming and I was hoping it was going to come. And when it did, I was like, man, it's, I was like this, it kind of, this cinched my love for this movie because yeah. literally, I mean, first off, there's only like less than 15 minutes left in the film. Right. So he has that shitty wig on the entire time. And so I kind of, you get used to it. And so this reveal kind of like sort of shakes you from that, but it's all part of this tapestry that you're like, man, this, this movie knows, it knows what it's doing. Even on a low budget, it knows what it's doing and it knows what it's trying to like convey. And it does it expertly. Totally. The doctor says, we have to get a closer look. And he he starts looking for his flashlight and he goes, where's my flashlight? And he turns on another light to kind of shine on the back of Max's head. Doctor pulls out like a, kind of like a, almost like a dentist drilling device and starts drilling in the back of Max's head. Well, he first, first he orders Max to open up the panel on the back of his head. And you see this cool FX shot of the back of Max's head open up. And there's a control panel revealing like, microchips and stuff like that it's 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 very um you know it's very janky looking but it's still cool i think mm-hmm. yeah no i don't think it's that janky looking i think it looks pretty awesome i mean yeah no you're right it is it is awesome head opens up and they look like puzzle pieces that are different colors and he starts drilling on the back of max's head causing max to start making like weird faces like he's having a stroke and then max says do you hear boats i hear boats and then starts laughing and convulsing and making sounds. And the doctor says, I have one last job for you, Max. It's distasteful to me, but I have to remove your Maury. He says, Maury governor and replace it with another one more suitable for the job at hand. I, oh, sorry. I think he says moral governor. I think so too, but yeah, no subtitles. I, you know, and Klaus Kinski's fucking accent. You know, I don't know, man. Maury Governor. But dude, dude, I could, I could literally talk for hours about the facial expressions that he's making when he's like making uh, that uh, Don Keith Ober's making when Klaus Kinski's, you know, tinkering with him and everything. This again, this also. This part, this literal scene right here, solidified. I was like, this fucking guy, he's so much more than the dim-witted handyman in Critters. Totally. Yeah, it's it's great piece of acting. And, um, and it only gets better because the doctor pulls a microchip out of the back of Max's head and replaces it with another chip. And when he does, when he pulls the chip out, Max loses his vision. He's looking at Cassandra and everything goes blurry. And he says, I can't see. And then he replaces the chip with another chip. And the color goes from vivid, regular colors to muted, like soft colors, darker. Yeah. And suddenly Max's whole face looking, going, he goes from like jovial and happy to very evil. I like that Cassandra one is kind of, watching him the entire time like watching the whole thing transpire she's not saying anything she's not blinking she's not doing and her face is kind of blank but it's also kind of not like there's also kind of this look of horror like very subtle horror on her face yeah because she's studying what's going on too right yeah exactly the doctor says murder is a serious crime max it has to be punished max who's now dead in the eyes stands up and you see a POV from his perspective as he leaves the lab. The doctor says, what we do for love is beyond good and evil. Cassandra says, 
Yes, doctor. And now, like, you know, all this time that, you know, he now, Max becomes, like, the, the killer Max, every bit of his body movement, facial expressions are totally different than naive Max. Right, and this, and suddenly the music goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Cut back to Max POV how's, shot. How's Wolfie doing? <laughs> Cut back to Max POV shot down the hallway, walking towards Mendez's quarters. Cut back to the doctor talking to his audio diary, saying, Cassandra 1 has been successfully activated. I've created the prototype of the perfect working class, not to mention the perfect woman. Cut to Max walking down the corridor. Mendez is now sitting in the living room quarters. Still locked in there, though. Yep. He looks at the elevator door. The glass shatters, and it's ripped open. The elevator door is ripped open. Sparks fly. It's a really cool shot. Yeah. Mendez jumps up and stands as guard, holding a mechanical arm in his hand, the one that Keller had earlier that he tried to kill Mendez with. He swings the, throws the hand at Max, and Max catches it. Max throws it against the wall, and the fingers of the mechanical arm go into the wall, stuck in the wall. It's a great shot. Like, it's a great, like, effect shot. Like, you know, you know that that hand is already stuck in the wall, but the way the camera, like, him, he throws it, but the camera sort of moves so fast that you don't really see the real one that he throws kind of, you know, probably falls to the side type of thing. It's it's a great little in-camera film trick of the eye thing. And I'm, I'm, you know what's funny? I'm a sucker for those type of things, like those type of in-camera trickeries. Yeah, me too. In-camera trickeries. I also am a sucker for, I love the fact that Mendez just decides to tackle uh, Max at this point. So he rushes him. And I love that he fucking just bounces right off of Max. Max doesn't even like fucking move. And I love how they, they did that too. Like, I don't know if they put something in front of Max that we can't see. But like fucking Mendez hits him. And Max doesn't even move, and Mendez like falls backwards. Yeah, it's a ama- it's a really cool shot because yeah, he like literally runs into a brick wall and bounces back. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, Mendez goes to punch Max, but Max grabs his fist and crushes it. Crushes it. You hear all the bones breaking. So cool. Men- Mendez screams in horror. Max puts his other hand on Mendez's neck and pushes it back, which yeah. causes him to break his spine yeah. and awesome. lays him on the ground. Mendez dies and flops over. Ah, oh, dude, that was brutal, man. Like, I, I'm, another thing I'm a sucker for, like, the, I, I love it when in movies when robots kill people. Like, they don't kill people the way people kill people. Like, they kill people like it's just the quickest way to do it. Let me just break their back or something. I'm just like, that. It was. it's brutal. It's fucking brutal. And at Super. this point, you still think that Mendez pretty much deserves it. Yeah, yeah. At this point, we don't know anything else other than... Mendez must have killed Maggie. Yeah. But instead, Max goes to walk out of the quarters, but then stops and turns around and goes back to Maggie's bedroom. He walks in and sees her dead body on the bed. He walks over to Maggie. He puts his hands on her. He puts his fingers on her lips and he moves her body over and he finds something under her body. What is it? It's a flashlight. The flashlight that the doctor was using earlier in the movie that he was looking for and he couldn't find in his lab. Dun, dun, dun. So then my notes here are, you know, are, is like, I'm like, is, is this supposed to imply that, that, you know, that 
Daniels did it, that Klaus Kinski's character did it. And then, you know, I started, I kind of moved forward in the movie a little bit. And then it kind of just hit me. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This DVD has audio commentary, director commentary. So yeah. I rewound it back to the scene. I turned on director commentary. And yeah, they confirm that they, well, first off, I don't know who he's talking to, maybe a producer or something, the director. Um, but he was like, yeah, this part of the script was like, or this part of the movie is very sort of, sort of unclear. Um, but then the director's like, no, I think it's pretty clear, you know, and it's, and they pretty much allude to the fact that, yeah, it's the doctor did it. And I was like, no, I, I kind of think it was, <laughs> I don't think it was very clear. It um, wasn't totally clear, but, you know, third, fourth time I watched this movie, I finally got it. And that makes Mendez now, like, not at all sympathetic, but it, it makes more sense why when uh, Keller was going to go kill him, why Mendez was like, what's wrong? Like, you know, I didn't do anything because he didn't. He didn't fucking kill Maggie. And what it does do, too, is it now realizes that the doctor is evil. That the doctor, doctor has, is more of a threat. Dr. Evil. I shall call him Mini-Me. Um, <laughs> so now... Max is out of the room. Cut back to the doctor with Cassandra. Undresses Cassandra. <laughs> yeah, he has her. She's standing up. He looks her up and down. He puts his hands on her arms and looks over her whole body. He gets right up in her face. Cut back to Max walking down the hallway. And he's like flashing back in his mind, hearing Maggie saying, call me Maggie. And doctor saying, I warned you, Max, you're not under any circumstances to make your own decisions. It's flashing back to various moments in the in the past couple of days, right? The doctor saying, the doctor saying, I don't like your tone, Max. Continues hearing the doctor saying things about Max he doesn't like, exhibiting signs of the Munich syndrome. I shall terminate Max. Suddenly, out of nowhere, you cut to several squadron ships from the police force en route to the space lab. So that one <laughs> ship was not the only ship. Obviously, they went looking for it and they're going to track it down. Cut to the doctor opening Cassandra's blouse, revealing her breasts. He inspects them. <laughs> More boobs. I'm like, I'm blown away. Blown away. And Zach got all of my texts. I text every time. There were titties on the screen. I'm just like <laughs> blown away. Doctor uh, Cassandra grabs the doctor's hands like to get him to stop. And the doctor says, you won't have this, Cassandra? Cassandra says, no, sir. Doctor says, let my hands go. And he throws his arm down really hard and says, let go. <laughs> he goes back to putting his hands on Cassandra again. And she grabs his arm again. Cut back to the police ship starting to dock in the station. And I like how they're, I like their like blue reader, you know, blue leader to the blue squadron, you know, blue two to blue three. You guys take up like, you know, I don't know, patrol patterns, blue one, follow me. And I, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for all that shit. And I think they did a good job with like the dialogue and everything of the, the military, the, the assault team or whatever. Oh yeah, they did. So good that Empire Strikes Back ripped it off. <laughs> Fuck you. But uh, <laughs> also, I, I don't know like sort of specifically where, but this is the scene where uh, Cassandra, him grabbing her arms or whatever, at some point, He's grabbing her wrist. She kind of breaks free of it I, somewhere around there. But you see the actress. Like, you could tell that Klaus Kinski was, like, really fucking squeezing her wrists, like her forearms and everything. Yeah, because now it, it cuts back to Cassandra fighting with the doctor, grabbing his arms, and doctor calls Max over to hold Cassandra. Max has the flashlight. 
Max puts the flashlight down. And that was the point when I realized I'm like, oh, it's the doctor. Max walks between Cassandra and the doctor, pushes Cassandra away, grabs the doctor by the neck and starts choking the doctor. The doctor says, what do you want, Max? Cut back to the police ships about to dock and they disable the laser cannon that took out the earlier police ship. That's cool callback. Yep. I like that. Good attention to detail. Right? Cut back to Doctor getting choked by Max. (laughs) Harder, Max. Harder. (laughs) Harder. Doctor opens up a drawer while they're wrestling and grabs a tool and stabs Max a couple times with this knife. You see two puncture wounds on the back of Max's body. And there's like a spark when he does it, too, which is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Cassandra runs over and grabs this knife. It grabs this knife. Grab. Young guy. Young Young guy. guy. (laughs) Grabs it away from the doctor. Cut back to the police ship docking at the station. Immediately cut back to Max and Cassandra holding the doctor. Cassandra grabs the body of the doctor. They pull in opposite directions, ripping the head off of the body, revealing that the doctor is an android, too. Didn't see this coming at all. Oh, throw dude. the body, throws the body on the ground. The body's convulsing. It keeps moving because it's still alive. It's an android. A crazy, crazy reveal. Yeah. <laughs> Cut back to the police force rushing through the station with alarms going off. The, I wouldn't say they have the coolest looking gear. They have like um, what looks like a, a paint gun masks with the goggles and the face thing yeah but but with the the mouthpiece removed essentially on some yeah. of them they're removed and then some of them the goggles are removed so it's a little disjointed it, i mean guys gals it's it's like it's no colonial marines or anything like that but yeah it's it's passable it's passable but i'm with you i don't love the look of them no neither do i, I and i also didn't love the look of the laser guns either i hate that clear plastic front that People always put on laser guns, you know? Yeah. I, it's, yeah. like, still, like, a normal gun, but then there's that clear plastic zip-zap at the be- at the front of it, you know? Yeah, they're cheesy, but, hey, look, they influenced Star Wars if it wasn't for this movie. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Cut back to the lab. Max is now holding up the doctor's head. This is an amazing effect shot. So, yes! So, clearly, yes! like, they're, you know, it's, it's Klaus Kinski in front of some sort of like thing to, to make it look like it's just his head floating, but it really looks like just his head is floating. It's yeah. amazing special effects. It's a great special effect for a low budget. I bought it completely. Also, I love how Klaus Kinski's like, what are you doing? I am not a robot. I am, I am a man. You know, it's like, yeah. he doesn't know he's an Android either. Wait, you made him like, you know, Italian now. What's a ding? <laughs> or French. What's a ding? I'm not a robot. I'm a min. Uh, that, yeah, so the doctor's like saying, Max, I'm going to destroy you. And Cassandra walks over. No, no, Zach, do, do it in Jimmy Stewart's voice. <laughs> the doctor says, Max, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> and he says, you want me to... Take a lasso and throw it around the moon and pull it down for you because I'll do that, Max. I'll do that. I'll do it. <laughs> so, Thank Max, you. uh, you're welcome. Cassandra walks over and the doctor says, Cassandra, you, you're a perfect woman. You're an android. Not me. I'm not an android. Cassandra asks for the doctor's head, picks it up, and she walks it over to a garbage can. 
and opens up the garbage can drawer, throws the head in the garbage, and closes it. <laughs> I love that. It's that's great. So, it's such a fucking, it's a, such a fuck you, you know? It is. It is, you know? Because that's what you do with a robot's head. <laughs> Suddenly, you cut to the police force running down the hallway with guns ablazing. Cassandra's watching a monitor. She turns and she's got like fully, she's fully animated now, full of life. And she looks yeah. at Max and she says, now Max, listen carefully. They'll be here in a few seconds. And then Max says, I'll kill them. I like that. I think, I think he will too. Like, I believe that he actually would kill them all. Oh yeah. I believe it too. Cause you know, he won't. Yeah. Unless they rip his head off or they throw it in a garbage can. <laughs> um, she tells Max to sit down. She's like massaging his shoulders sort of. She asks him to open his control panel. Open your control panel, Max. And she takes out the aggression chip and she puts in the moral chip. And suddenly, Max comes back to life. His whole mannerisms change. She says, we don't have much time. And Max goes, let's hide. And he goes to hide <laughs> under the uh, operating table. Well, because, I mean, the naive Max is technically only five years old, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Good point. Cut back to the police force finding Mendez's body and, and Maggie's body. The police say on their like walkie talkie system, they say that's all of them. And they say, let's go check for survivors. And they continue their search. Cut back to Cassandra and Max. Cassandra says to Max, do you understand? We're not meant to be governed by men. Max says, Cassandra, my hopes with going to earth died with Maggie. Cassandra says, there's others like us on earth in hiding. And we're going to join them. Just do exactly as I tell you. Cut back to the police force making their way down the hallway. They get to the lab where they open the lab and come in. How does Cassandra 1 know about the resistance force? Like the people in hiding, the androids in hiding at that point. Because a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) there was a guy named Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Now you know. So, you're like, I have no answer for you. No answer. I mean, this well, it's, it's chariots again, it's of the one, gods. Chariots it's, of the gods. It, it, chariots of gods, man. No, I, I get it, man. It's it's one of the very few flaws. I mean, we've called that. We've called them all out at this point. And if you've been keeping tally, there are very few flaws in this film. Well, she's if she's tapped into the database of all the computer systems and whatnot, who knows? Okay. It's like Lawnmower yeah. Man. She's going through this. She's Job. She's Job, dude. <laughs> Goes back to Jeff Fahey. Did someone say Lawnmower Man? <laughs> I said Lawnmower Man. No, no. Does someone need their lawn mode? You should see Zach's face changes with every voice. It's <laughs> like doing. Don Opper. Yeah, Just like Don does, Opper. Yeah. I'm Max. Um, Suddenly, when they approach the lab, Cassandra approaches them very pleasantly and says, oh, ha, can you take us out of here? And one of the police officers smiles and says, yes, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it's, and uh, Cassandra turns around with a big smile and says, Dr. Daniel. And suddenly you see a man's blue coat and the camera pans up and the man turns around in his chair and it's Max with his wig back on dressed as Dr. Daniels. He asks for his hat. Cassandra gives him the hat, kind of like smacks it to him, which is really cute. And suddenly they get walked out by the police who are on the radio, who are on the radio saying Dr. Daniel and his assistant are safe. They're coming aboard. Cassandra and Max follow the police out of the lab and they get on their ship. 
there's a quick shot of the lab being empty, the station being empty, and then a little TV monitor from the lab shows the credits rolling. And as they do, a killer, killer song called Sergio Leone by the Fibonacci's starts playing. It's a band from the 80s. Okay. The credits okay. roll and the movie ends. It's a such an amazing song. I love it. It's a great way to end this movie. Android, the movie's over. Jimmy Stewart's gone. And... The world is safe from AI. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> that's actually a perfect movie. So, Cam, Sully, you chose a great cult movie for us to break down. Android is, dare I say, probably more enjoyable now than it was in 1982. Because yeah. if we go back to 1982, we're talking Star Wars. You're talking Tron. Empire Strikes Back, right, is coming, or if it hasn't at this point. And so there's all of these benchmarks to, uh, sorry, Blade Runner as well. All these benchmark movies to kind of um, judge this movie against. Now, 40 some odd years later, 42 years later, we're able to look at this movie and go, you know what? This is a great little indie movie that did a lot with a little bit. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Your thoughts. I, I did too, man. It, this movie had a lot to say. Um, kind of like They Live, it, it it's more almost more relevant today than it was then. And I I love what you're saying, and I completely agree with you. Um, it just it was up against too many powerhouses back then, but with 40 plus years behind us now, we can kind of look at it as its own singular thing. And this movie does so much with such a little budget and it says so much with such a little budget and the the ending is satisfying the movie is very well paced it's really fast i don't ever feel like i want to know more i just i love what's there and i think it does a great job world building it's one of the the better fucking world building sci-fi movies that i've seen on, on this budget um t to b man top to bottom this is a banger from beginning to end. Um, I think anyone who watches it will be entertained by this movie. I think I think um, Don Keith Oper is just fantastic. Everyone's fantastic. Maggie's great. Gunter's great. Klaus Kinski is he's great in it too. The whole the whole cast is awesome. So yeah, man, I I loved this. I absolutely fucking loved it. I th- I think this movie bears repeat viewings even after you listen to us basically reveal everything and explain everything uh, because you get a little bit out of it every single time. I, I know I did. Yeah. And you know, this, the, the music was great too. The, the choices the, the, of t- songs. So nice. The set designs were awesome. Like I love that command communication room with, with like the black floors and those, you know, I don't know, server things that are like, like, you know, five feet tall. Like it was, it's so cool, man. It's like, it's really cool. And there are, you know, very few wonkinesses to it. And, and I think this movie, it knows what it's doing. It knows what it's doing all the way through. Um, you know, we called out that one weird edit that, you know, we don't really understand what it was trying to say, but I do believe the filmmakers know because I feel like the rest of the movie is so competently done that, that, I just feel like we're missing it. I feel like they know what they were trying to portray, but I feel like we just missed it. And they did it twice that this weird, or 
I think twice, maybe three times the, the, the machine that they close in on, uh, they show that like two or three times in the movie. And I'm not sure why, um, you know, if you guys know why, let us know. Yeah. And I also want to point out this movie, even though it's rated PG, uh, and it's a fun sci-fi movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, not a kid's movie. Like if you go, Oh, I want to show this to my son or daughter or whatever. No, it's not a kid's movie. It's a movie about a robot who wants to basically have sex and fall, not, not have sex, wants to fall in love is what it is. And so it's a love story, but it's, it's edgy. So uh, just know that going into it. Yeah, no, uh, a great job, Cam. Um, really, great job. really, yeah, really appreciate this. Really appreciate body bags. I did it again. Body parts. Good God. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Well, well oh. there's something to say, but there was one time I had a body bag with with a young, sprightly long. Uh, don't incriminate yourself, Jimmy. It's, it's okay. I got away with it. No. It, <laughs> Dude, it always blows my mind. Jimmy Stewart was in World War II, man. You know, that dude probably fucking killed some Nazis and shit, man. That Jimmy Stewart's the man. He's yeah. one of my favorite favorite actors of all time. He could do no wrong in my book. Oh, oh dude, I'm, I'm with you. But, uh, Cam, thank you so much for picking this. Uh, guys and gals, if you want us to break down your, you know, one of your favorite movies or whatever, um, hit us up on Patreon on the highest tier. That's patreon.com slash podcastafterdark, and we will walk through your movie. We'll we'll put it through the paces. The We'll put it through the pad uh the pad machine and uh one of us will break it down so we really appreciate the love and support that you guys give us um if if you're new to the show uh you can find all the links to everything uh our our patreon account all the podcatchers our merch store you can find all the links over at podcastingafterdark.com that's podcastingafterdark.com now we are ending uh january with this movie which means we're moving into february my birthday month, so I can't wait to find out what we're going to be reviewing in February. But, uh, Zach, what is, uh, what's $2 late fee doing in February? Well, we just dropped a tribute to David Von Erich uh, on Territory Marks, very specifically about one particular time in David Von Erich's career. If you're not familiar with David Von Erich, the Iron Claw movie that came out uh, in December of 23, um, talked about the Von Erich family. He's he's one of the members of the Von Erich family. A really cool angle where he was a heel, where he's a bad guy for a minute, which is kind of a surprise. Um, so Paul and I covered, it's like a bonus episode, but we're going into season five of $2 Late Fee covering weird science. And we have a uh, follow-up interview with Suzanne Snyder. And then we'll be then we'll be marching into 80s Kids Unite. But more on that very soon. Actually, if you're a subscriber to one of our Patreons, either it either of them pod, podcasting after dark, patreon.com slash podcasting after dark or patreon.com slash two dollar late fee. Uh, you'll get the inside scoop on what we're doing with 80s Kids Unite. And if you listen to the the one of the episodes in, earlier in January, uh, we dropped it on both feeds, the 80s Kids Unite panel from Comic-Con, where we uh, give you some more details. So anyways, a lot of stuff going on on both networks, uh, yeah. Pad and $2. Who baby? Who baby? Gonna, Who I think baby? it's going to be a big year. 2024 is going to be a big year. Um, Zach, I don't know if you know this, but where can I see um, Iron Claw? I know it's an A24 film. Um, is it streaming anywhere? Is it going to be out on Blu-ray soon? At this point now, it's probably on its way to Blu-ray. Um, if it's not 
streaming on I don't know Max I think has a 24 movies okay uh, I don't know if it's on there yet but just a heads up to everybody it's a heavy film to watch don't expect it to be all like yay yay rah rah it's a yeah. dark film dealing with a very dark subject well i mean a a24 um, doesn't do a lot of i think biopics so they do a lot of dark movies so i feel like that kind of coincides like sort of correctly you know that lines up right yeah yeah i mean i personally loved it uh it is not accurate entirely to the von Erich's life i'd say it's more of a dramatization of their life story versus sure. a biopic straight up because uh, they omit some pretty big details uh we but covered as, yeah sorry it, it, i mean it's but it's definitely worth watching but as someone who doesn't know anything about them and i've i've literally been hearing about the von erics literally our entire friendship uh, yeah. uh you know you've been telling me about them it's a good starting point right for for me to sort of learn about them it's a great starting point. I think okay. what it what it does is it really portrays the family in a fairly accurate light. There's a lot of this has been a lot of controversy, like whether people think it's accurate or not. Um, knowing what I know about the family, it's a great starting point. Okay. If you don't want to watch a documentary on them and just want to watch a dramatization, it's a great. Yeah, it's a great launching point. And the music, music is great in it. The acting is amazing. Holt McElney or McCallney or whatever his name is from Mindhunter. He was also in Creepshow 2. He was in the, uh, he was the Native American with mm. the long black hair. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how far back he goes in his career. He's amazing. Zach Efron is incredible. Like everybody is great in it. The guy who plays David Von Erich is amazing. Guy who plays the guy from The Bear. Yeah, the I'd Bear's say in it. Yeah. He's great. Um they're all great. The guy who plays Mike Von Erich, the 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 one of the younger sons is uh amazing. Everybody, Lily Allen just across the board. The fact okay. that this movie is like kind of gotten forgot the the fact that this movie has been forgotten by critics and award shows is a shame speaks to once again the idiocy of uh you know the award ceremonies because it doesn't mean anything it's all popularity no. contest no the, it, and the, wrestling's the fact always that been, the fact that yeah. pulp fiction didn't win that year you know and and what was it shakespeare in love or, or what Dude. is bullshit fucking bullshit man goodwill hunting <laughs> beats uh i'm sorry i goodwill hunting is a very good movie but it's it was not as good as boogie nights it's no, not as no. good as boogie nights and i feel like at this point no one rewatches goodwill hunting but i still see people watch and talk about boogie nights yeah people talk about one scene in goodwill hunting how about them apples yeah. boogie nights is quoted all the time the fact that forrest gump beat out shawshank redemption a movie that bullshit well, you know that was uh, tim robbins played like a modern day jimmy stewart <laughs> Oh, good shit, man. Good shit. And again, good shit from Cam Sully. Make sure you go check out his podcast, Jacked Up Review Show Podcast. The, they're a lot of fun over there. Zach and I have both been on it and everything. It's 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 a great time. So go check them out, uh, Jacked Up Review Show Podcast. Again, thank you so much, Cam Sully. Thank you to all the Patreon members. Thank you to Rob. Thank you to Aaron. Thank you to Crystal. Thank you to everybody who's who's, you know, don't go on at the highest tier and had us break down their movies and everything. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's great because we discover movies that we never would have brought to the show. And, and honestly, Android is a podcasting after dark movie. I, I will say in, 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 and Paulette's in the 
Paulette's next in the pipe as far yeah, as uh, she movies is. that are. And Paulette, yeah. if you're listening to this, I'm going to reach out to you very soon about it, about and your nope, your pick. No pressure, Paulette, but you know all of our picks so far have been really great. Uh, everything from mainstream like Bachelor Party to, uh, you know, obviously very cult like Android. And this is not taking away from any of the patrons whatsoever. But man, oh man, Cam, CBN Network was in full effect this month, my friend. <laughs> uh, Android, great choice. That is definitely a deep cut. Would had no clue that we were going to see that coming. So um, <laughs> you'll never see Android coming. <laughs> yes. Well, well, well. Maybe if I <laughs> if I throw my shoe at your head, you might get a little noggin knocker. What are you talking about? <laughs> and as always, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you on the dark side. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. everybody i'm tim and i'm dean and we're the hosts of talking back we're a retro-based podcast covering movies comics video games and more check us out every monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past we like to keep things fun lighthearted, and informative do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life then check out talking back we're available everywhere podcasts are found